previously on the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. The purported god Volcanon irrationally blames the entirety of ground creatures for Slade's actions unleashing the Devil King Zeon, and he refuses to help us. The Shining Force continues down the mountain, returning to the nearby village after this fateful meeting. Once arriving in the village, our search for a raft takes a dire turn as Luke and both of his allies are slaughtered by demons. We find ourselves with one new ally, a beast man by the name of Geralt, ready to stand against this threat to the village. What will happen to the peaceful villagers of Polka? Welcome to the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast, where we will nerd out over the shows, movies, books, games, and more that made us who we are today. Prepare yourself for a return to the 1990s on the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. Welcome back to part two of our Shining Force 2 playthrough. Now, if you didn't listen to the first part, I highly recommend that you go back and do so because there are several hours of content there with quite a lot of backstory. But if you're jumping right in, essentially we are playing through the Sega Genesis game, Shining Force 2, and going through the entire plot, battle by battle, and explaining our experience with this masterpiece of a 16-bit era game. Yeah, it's all-encompassing. Before starting this episode, we kind of had to go back to see, hey, where did we leave off? We left off on page 13 of my notes because we're literally going scene by scene, fight by fight, dialogue by dialogue to try to establish a real story behind this. And and this is getting pretty epic here because we're leaving the purported God Volcanon who's refused to help us. You know, Peter, our birds basically saying we'll defeat him ourselves. And here we are charging through. And the first person we meet here is this beast man, Geralt. And he is, this is his backstory here. This is really his time to shine as a character because when you talk to him prior to climbing up the mountain, he's basically self-conscious about himself because he has yet to grow his hair. He's not yet a true beast man. He's not a wolf man, right? He just, he gets made fun of in town. And these are the basically the cowards in the area because no, they're not climbing up Mount Vulcanon when Oddler gets knocked down. Oddler is the character that these devils want to take away for some reason they're not going up to Mount Vulcanon. We just did. So they're all cowards here. And yet it's Geralt coming here saying, listen, I'll support you. I'll back you up. They just knocked out these bird men. Here are these devils. He's the only one in the entire village here coming to protect us. So kudos to Geralt here. And this is an epic battle to begin part two of our journey. Just to be clear, I mean, you were talking about Geralt of Rivia, correct? From the Witcher series? Unfortunately, Geralt of Rivia would probably slay this Geralt, so uh, it doesn't really work out. And Geralt here is a boxer right now. That's as far as we know. We know eventually his character is going to get fleshed out a little bit, but he just punches people. And very different from Geralt of Rivia, who would basically probably just one-shot him. I, I could just imagine, you know, he'd just igni him or something like that, game over, or, or take his you know silver sword 
game over. I could see it. I mean, you know, but you're right. You know, Geralt is an interesting character because he, his attack animation is that he just punches. And that means that he doesn't equip a weapon. Uh, There are certain characters who don't like Peter, uh, the Phoenix, and maybe one or two others, you know, but Geralt, he never, even when he's later on upgraded and promoted to his next class, still does not equip weapons. So a a very uh, burly, beastly fighter. And King Bedeau here is kind of punting the issue too, because he's giving us a raft to help us get to Creed's mansion to assist us in our journey to stop Zeon. But he's just sitting up there in his, his palace up on a mountain, refusing to do anything. So he, I mean, I don't know if he's as much to blame as Vulcanon here, but I kind of throw some shade against King Bedeau here because all he's giving us is a raft. That's it. Yeah, the Birdmen are um, portrayed as being arrogant and aloof. They're not interested in helping the groundlings, the the people living on the ground. And this village, Polka, which is right beneath the mountain, is inhabited by mainly these beast men, but also some humans and dwarves and other characters. And they are now at the mercy of these demons who have shown up, these bad guys, to do what exactly we're not sure other than that they want this boy who uh, is named Odler uh, that we had just seen injured in the eruption that happened at uh, the mountain not long before. So our force is now ready to go. Geralt joins the force right before the battle. Luke tries to, but he gets hit by one of these demons. So he's on the ground. And looking at this battle map, it's pretty fun because it's in the village. So it's not like out in nature like a lot of the battle maps are. Uh, You have the houses and stairs and various structures of the village as part of the map. I always like these type that are a little bit different uh, than than your standard outdoor maps. So... Just counting up the enemies that we're dealing with here, there are some dark archers, so they're going to be ranged attackers. Uh, We also have some zombies, okay, introduction of zombies into this battle. There are a number of hobgoblins. Uh, One thing I should say about the zombies is that they can poison you when they attack. If you get poisoned, then that's damage that you're going to take two points each turn until you get a detox, until you get rid of that poison. We also have a monk and who's a healer, and we have a black mage who, of course, can do fire-type spells, much like our character, Kazin, can do. Lots of enemies, diversity here in, in, the, in the lineup, and they have the chance to heal. So what do you think? How did this one go for you? Yeah, the spellcasters here, I mean, the zombies, they're so strong, and it just seemed like they would do whatever it took just to hit the spellcasters. I mean, I did my best to try to protect them, but they were really susceptible here. I will say right off the bat, the black monks here are really strong. Uh, They hit Jaha, who's again, this gladiator with high defense for uh, 15 out of 25 health on a critical hit. And the hobgoblins that are also in this fight or, or that were in the previous fight in the cave hit him for one. So it's like 
we're really scaling up here. Um, this isn't a village. And so unfortunately in these villages, there are, especially in this one, there are certain ledges and whatnot. So it's, it's hard for me with Peter who's flying. I kind of over overexposed him a little bit. And mm -hmm. so they just went hard at him, hit him three times in a row before he got his turn. But on the fourth attempt, again, four hits, again, clearly overextended. He ended up dodging the last attack. Wow. That's big. Absolutely. Absolutely huge for Peter here. Dodges are awesome, man. Like whenever your character dodges, there's a special animation of them getting out of the way and they take no damage and it's pretty great. You know, it's like a free pass that you get. Yeah, Slade also had a dodge here with the archer for HP. Uh, it just, it's so hard to keep everybody healed. It was such a difficult fight to manage. Um, Jaha actually died here just because I was, I had to keep heals so much on my own character just because the zombies kept hitting really hard. Geralt actually was pretty strong. Um, he was able to hit a zombie for 12 out of 27 health, which is you know, roughly like 40 some percent. He seemed to be like he must be a, a decent fighter at least. And he's got decent HP and, and defense. So I think he definitely wasn't terrible. You know, Geralt's pretty strong. I, I didn't use him a lot in this battle because his movement wasn't great. Uh, I did have him eliminate one hobgoblin, it looks like. So he got a little action, uh, but not as much as you might think. In this battle, um, I typically do a thing where I sort of split the force into like two groups and I have one go down the one set of stairs and then one down like the other side and like around um, sort of like flanking the enemy a little bit. As I mentioned in our last episode, my strategy playing through this time was that I wanted to defeat every single enemy on every map which means that you can't kill the leader of the enemy because that would destroy the whole um, army. I do remember when I was a kid and I played through this battle the first time that I was just getting wrecked. Like, I, I was having a rough time. I ended up attacking the mage, who is the leader of the army in this battle, and I killed him, and sometimes you can't really tell who the leader is. It's just like a random character. It defeated the whole army, and I was blown away. I, I was like thinking I was some tactical genius because I had managed to survive the battle. But in this one, you know, I did manage to pull all of the enemies as as I have. Most of my force was like roughly around level fifteen or fourteen at this point. My main character got to level sixteen with a double attack on one of the monks and killed him in one go. One thing that I was kind of working against here is that you actually have control of Peter finally, and you can actually move him, because in the past battles, he's AI-controlled. So he was really underleveled for me, because he never got into the action when he was controlled by the computer. So I only had him at, like, level 11 whenever the battle started. Looks like I got him up to 13 by the end, but he still had some catch-up to do here. A little clarification on that. This is the first battle that you get control over, Peter, because the previous battle, as we discussed, neither of our Peters even got an attack off on the Mount Vulcanon battle. Like he just does like a, a little bit of movement per turn. Now, my Peter in this level hit 15 because previously he just stole every single kill, which I'm fine with because it's Peter, so he's pretty OP. But this is the first battle you actually get control of him, and that's probably why I overextended him because he's very powerful. He's a good tool to have, but if you if you overextend him, he'll get he'll get annihilated. But he's 
very powerful weapon, a good toy to have. And I think I, I maybe got a little excited about it. One of the other highlights is the Master Mage here. He gets Blaze Level 2. So Blaze Level 2 is going to hit for around 10 damage, and it does up to 5 targets in like a cross formation. Here, the Master Mage went to kill Geralt instead of hitting multiple units. Wow. So instead of getting for, for the 3 plus Blaze Level 2, just went for Geralt. So he's, he's sending a message here <laughs> trying to encourage Geralt, punish him for being a brave, brave soldier here. But what did he hit? did he hit for one or did he cast a spell? <laughs> no, he cast plays level two. So oh, he killed, okay. he's able to kill Geralt. He was able to kill Geralt. Oh, I see. But it sent a powerful message that he, you know, he's not <laughs> trying to be efficient here. He's just trying to trying to go for glory and, and really send a message of like, you want to stand up against us in this battle, you're gonna die. And so yeah. go back go back to your cowardice here. Well, in mine, uh, I got through without any deaths, it looks like. Uh yes, so that was good. Overall, pretty successful battle for me. Got a lot of guys leveled up there. I was really working on Peter to catch him up, uh, so I was pretty happy with that. Still going very strong with May, uh, level 15 with her. I had a couple deaths here, Jaha, Geralt, and almost Peter. Slade as well, but he also got a dodge with 4 HP, as I mentioned, so it was pretty bad. The main issue here for me was the enemies. It was like a group of eight that clustered together. And so if one character overextended, they all could attack. Because as soon as you, you know, what I've learned about the game. So it's like you said, you're trying to manipulate the game. You can kill the leader to win. I'm trying to kill as many as I can without the leader to get as strong as I can, be as efficient as possible. But if you just move one square over into that aggro territory, they will move all out to full, attack you. Yeah, full, out. full movement. So you, have, yep. you basically don't even want to extend beyond a square, but I, I keep on doing that. I, it takes me, I, I get better at it each battle, but this one especially, you know, I'd move like three and be like, oh, I'm safe. Nope, you get extended yep. and then your characters get obliterated. But again, you just resurrect them. It's actually cheaper to resurrect them than to get a healing seed. So my goal in this run is to beat it without Karna cheese without cheesy with Karna. So that's kind of my goal. I'm fine now with deaths, um, especially because my main character died early on. I don't really have any of that bravado to extend to doing the kind of stuff you're doing, which is a more elite gameplay. So I'm, I'm fine just beating it, trying to be as efficient as possible. But unfortunately, I'm constantly testing the limits of what I can do. And this is another fight. And this is not the only one where I maybe push things a little too far. If you don't uh, know who Karna is, I think we may have talked about her in the first episode, but she's basically this, um, she's a healer, but she's a very exploitable, like broken uh, character because she can pretty much just gain experience and level up uh, just ridiculously. And, you know, we'll probably talk more about her later because we haven't encountered her yet. But yeah, that's an important point. Okay, so after this battle, we find out that Luke, who I may have suggested, was slaughtered. You you said he was slaughtered. You said it. I mean, as far as we knew at the time, he was slaughtered. But guess what? He's not. After you win, he wakes up and he actually helps you continuing with the quest to go and get the raft from the mayor. You can talk to uh, some of the townspeople again. There's not not anything too different. I did note a couple of people saying, there's one guy in the town who says, there's a desert in the south. Ancient ruins lay in the desert. 
even sooner than that, there is a centaur woman in the village who says that they say a huge monster lives in the river. I wonder what that monster could be. So eventually you go to the mayor's house and you try to talk to him. It takes several attempts because he is freaked out and he thinks that you're a zombie. He thinks that you're undead and he refuses to speak to you. I got to pause you on this mayor thing. I actually had to look this up because I was so confused because you talk to him. You get an animation, the dialogue, you do it again. Same thing. It seemed broken to me. So I just stopped and I was like, what's going on? And then I explored the whole town figuring out what's going on. But it's like you said, it turns out you just have to like, you have to keep talking to him over and over again. And eventually at some point, I'm not sure how many times he eventually gives you the proc to the next part of your mission, but there's no, like there's no (laughs) way you would possibly know that other than just spam talking to him. Right. Yeah. That's what I did. I, I don't remember how many times it was like three or four times at least, I think. But yeah, very weird. Like, and, and he does animate. Like, he kind of jumps and he's, like, real nervous. But you convince him that you are, in fact, alive. And so he orders the last raft to be prepared for you so you can get down the river. When you go to leave the town, Odler comes walking out of the mayor's house. And he basically, the mayor is asking if you can take him with you. You can refuse, but of course it's a false choice. If you refuse, he ends up coming with you anyway. He says, I'm Odler. I was nearly dead when I came here. Actually, I don't remember. I don't know the reason why the devils are after me. I'm afraid I'll cause you a lot of trouble. And then it says that you decide to take Odler with you. Now he's not playable. He's not a member of the force. He's just going with you. Luke then officially joins you as well in order to get him his proper weapon at this point, because he only comes with a like a middle sword. So I, I went back into the town in order to like get him his long sword, which is the proper like uh, level of weapon at this point. And then you all get onto the raft and you sail down the river, which does lead to one of the most iconic uh, battles of the game. But uh, you were just shaking your head there. You say it's the most iconic battle, and I kind of wanted to maybe save it for then, but since he threw it back to me, I did not go back. And oh. one of the most important battles is this this upcoming battle. With And again, we will explain it later, but Luke did not have his upgraded weapon because I just went. I mean, Adler is with us. We got to advance. He's blind. I don't want to you know, make him go on any journey that he doesn't have to. And so I was like, let's go on the raft. Let's hurry. Let's hurry this up. Again, big regret, but it is what it is. I mean, I, I learned from it, and uh, we'll see the ramifications of that pretty soon. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. So we end up going down the river. Um, the raft is like, you know, there's this little icon that you can control on the... Eventually, you reach a point because you are headed toward a town. But right when you reach the town, before you can actually get off the raft and go in, there is this little, like point in the river where it meets with a couple of other bodies of water and it it takes you to another screen and basically the raft has stopped moving and your characters are all wandering around the raft like wondering why did it stop what's going on and then all of a sudden this giant monster which of course that centaur woman in the town had just told us about erupts up out of the water and it is a kraken Okay, this is the Kraken battle. 
the Kraken has a head, and if you defeat the head, you beat the whole monster. But it also has ten different appendages, different arms and legs that it has with it. And they can be really, really strong. Uh, every time that I have ever done this battle, many dozens of times, I always end up just taking out the head because those other parts of it are devastating. Um, they have these really strong physical attacks. They crit a lot. And they have a certain like magic attack. It's like a ranged attack where they can like blow bubbles, basically, at your characters. And those can be pretty strong. The head itself really strong too. So for this battle, I set myself the goal of defeating every part of the Kraken. So I had to defeat all 10 plus the head. I'm not going to say right away how this went. I gotta pause you here again to the listeners. I don't know Matt's playthrough. You, you can check our Discord. We kind of give ourselves some updates generally, but we leave this stuff kind of in the blank as to what's going on by and large as to what we're doing, um, at least especially with this fight. I had no idea. And this, to me, is the most iconic fight in the game for me. I think for you, it's the chess match, as you explained on the Discord. Um, but this fight, completely in the blind on it. And I got to say, the fact that you would say that's insane to me because I will say I have tried doing that it to me was an impossibility and I'm talking leveling people up egressing. It's the spell your character has to kind of go back to town, heal up, do it again, just to level characters. And it's incredibly hard because really you have the small raft and then the outsides are it's surrounded by water. And that's where all the legs and arms start off. And really ostensibly the only characters who can attack in the beginning, it's like Luke and Peter and that's it. Everyone else, you have to be in harm's within harm's range to even mm -hmm. do anything. And by then, you're basically getting one or two shot here. And these even grow back. So the arms and legs will even grow back. So it's like even if you destroy all the arms and legs, they'll respawn. And so I'm telling you now, if Matt pulled this off, I'm going to – I don't even know what to say. But I, I'm putting my money – I'm going all in here that there's no way you did that. Because I just I, – I can't imagine it. Did you have the power ring? Yes, I did have the power ring, but okay. I, I did not. I did not use it. I did not use it. Okay, so the, so that was the only thing that I could think that might give me the edge. So this item, the power ring, if you equip it to a character, it it raises their attack. But the thing that's really helpful with it is that you can use it as an item. It basically casts a boost on a character and raises their attack by roughly fifteen points. And that will last for maybe, it varies, maybe three turns or something like that. Using these rings is always dangerous because they can crack. If you use it again after it cracks, it'll break into pieces and it'll just be gone forever. I had the ring equipped onto Jaha, but I, I would have him use it on various characters depending on where they were and like where the arms and legs were at. All you can really do is you have to try to just pull aggro the different limbs closer to the different parts of the raft. So I was using people like Jaha, like Geralt, people who had that sort of like higher defense to absorb damage. And then I was using a lot of healing items. Before I left the last town, I purchased a ton of healing items. Sarah, of course, was vital to this as well but you know she can only do so much this is one 
one healer there. So, you know, long story short here, I had a lot of deaths. I lost Kiwi, that goes without saying. I lost May. That that was hard for me. Geralt, Jaha, eventually as well. But when the smoke cleared, I destroyed every piece of the Kraken and then took out the head, using mainly Peter to do that. And part of my strategy there was that I actually weakened the head when it was getting when I was close to done with the limbs so that I'd be able to one shot it whenever I was ready. This was unbelievable. I got really lucky with a lot of crits. Geralt was critting left and right. Uh, I did use the power ring on him at one point and he was just like tearing down everything. I used it on my main character at another point and I was just lucky that the ring didn't crack because if it had I probably couldn't have pulled this off. I think I used it at least three times. That's surreal. That is surreal. Um, I have respect. I mean, I'm speechless, honestly. I mean, kudos to you. I bow down before you. Thank um, you, sir. I, uh, but again, it, it's the beauty of the game. And uh, what a magnificent performance. Congratulations, sir. Oh, and I have to add, Sarah learned the Blast Level 2 spell during this fight. She got to level 16. And she actually took out uh, an arm uh, with it. A nice little moment for Sarah. And she actually leveled the 17 by the end, as did Geralt and my main character. So they were the MVPs of this one. I will say in the limited discussions that we had in our uh, Discord and text messages about certain character levels, you were very high on Sarah and she's a much higher level. This fight might explain that because yes. it seems like she was probably the MVP healing everybody, getting max amount. Oh, she was. For- yeah, she she was using she used every bit of her mana by the end and she was even down to using items, you know, so. Yeah. So to give some context for me, I tried. <laughs> it was just I, to me, it was, again, insurmountable. I mean, I basically had Kazin on the edge of the raft trying to do uh, blaze on the cracking legs and whatnot. Not like the direct edge where you can be hit, but right below it. And then I tried having some aggro. It just, they wouldn't move. Like they wouldn't move. And they just would like pass their turn without drawing aggro. And so I grew some frustration here. And basically, eventually, so the legs are able to hit you up front. And so for an example, Luke had 28 health. A leg hit him down to 12. So he's the legs are basically two-shotting anyone on my entire party. And yet, at some point, the arms come in and they're ranged. And they're ranged two-shotting as well. And so you can't just sit there sitting on the edge because eventually they come in. And so that's how Kazin died because it's like, he wasn't on the edge to be hit by a leg, but then the arms come in and kill him. And so I just said, listen, I, I can't do this. We got to go and, and try to kill the actual head. Cause I just, I couldn't even fathom it. I mean, May was hitting for one damage, one damage on the Kraken legs. Luke was hitting for one damage as well. Now, again, I had mentioned before, I did not get him the sword upgrade. So I don't know if the sword upgrade, maybe he hit for two, but the head just, it was not drawing aggro and it was standing there. And I, I, I could only send Peter and Luke out. And so that was my strategy. I mean, I killed a couple legs, I think, maybe an arm. But by and large, those were all pretty meaningless because I, I had to get the head. I was too afraid to die, too afraid to lose here. And so what I did is I sent Peter out, basically. I was like, Peter, you're going to solo this. Like, you're just going to go and solo the Kraken head because you're OP. You go do what you want to do. So the Kraken head has 35 health. Peter hit the Kraken head for 11 per attack. So 
three attacks, 33 damage, has two left over. It's a four attack hit. Whereas the Kraken's going to three shot Peter. So it's like this really difficult issue of how do I manage the math here? And yet, believe it or not, you do the math, there's two extra damage. Where do you think the two extra damage came from? None other than Luke. That was Luke, None, baby. Oh, none. yeah. There he is. MVP with, with his Luke. middle sword. Here he goes. Oh, oh, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. One HP left. Peter's down to one hit. Here comes Luke. Luke defeated the Kraken. So, <laughs> so useless. But yet, that extra two damage, right? Two damage that he dealt was enough to defeat the Kraken. So amazing dude that's how my that's how my fight went but yeah i went you know i basically i tried leveling as much as i could with basically my character attacking the legs because he could you know i could hit like take three or four hits maybe from a cracking leg sarah was there to heal but everyone else i mean it's just like they just died man i mean slay died kazin died chester died jaha died like everybody's Geralt died like everybody's dying here and it's just me and Sarah healing, trying to get as much XP as we can. And then Peter and Luke taking on the Kraken. And yeah, Luke MVP here <laughs> with his one damage per attack. I was like, oh, I almost didn't want to give him the kill because I, I felt that it was cheapening Peter's sacrifice and, and, and his success. But my Peter was a lot stronger than yours, apparently. Yeah. But I, I did point. not use the yeah, I did not use the power ring though. Which I guess I, I should have considered, but I, I was afraid that it could like break on the first time. And if I didn't need to use it, I wouldn't. But I didn't know it gave 15 attack, man. That's pretty strong. I probably should have yeah. used it. It's really strong. It's 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 a difference maker. But yeah, typically I fight the battle the same way that you did. But, you know, I, I, I'm pushing it for this for the listeners, you know, for for all of the uh, loyal Shining Force 2 fans out there. So after we defeat the Kraken, we arrive at a town called Hassan. And in this town, before you do anything else, as always, I like to go around and look for chests and everything. There is some mithril in a chest if you go out to a fence that is sort of off on the left side of the screen. There is also another mithril in a barrel way down south on a dock that's sort of dried up in the very southern part of the town. If you talk to a man there, he says that the river is drying up because of the drought. And then he says, to the west, if you really want to go, ask Dr. Rode. We'll hear more about Rode in a little bit. But I went back to the merchant in this town. Uh, there are a lot of items that you can get here. There are steel swords, steel arrows, and power axes. There was actually one or two things I couldn't afford right away because of having to purchase the power ring before since I didn't pick it up in the battle. I ended up coming back to get some more of the items a bit later, but I got what I could at the time. If you go through more of the town, you go into a house, and there's a person named Rode inside, but he's busy, he won't talk to you, but we'll have to come back to him later. There is also a priest living inside of a house that you can talk to, and he gives us a little bit of a backstory if you talk to him. He says, we could be related. Our ancestors came to Parmesia to chase after a soldier called Max. They lost his trail at the shore and then split into two groups. One group went back to Grand's by way of Devil's Tale. And then Peter says, what happened to Max? And the priest says, he wasn't found in Parmesia. So maybe he went to Grand's. I'm not really sure. I think I'll take a nap now. Bye. Great way to end. I'm just going to end all conversations like that from now on. But uh, this whole backstory 
is actually re- relating back to Shining Force 1 and the main character in that story. It's not really necessary for this one at all. I feel like it's almost like a little Easter egg for people that played the first game. Another important item that you can find in town is a running pimento. You can find it in a barrel in this sort of empty bar where there are cobwebs everywhere. Uh, The running pimento is really helpful because it increases movement. So that's one you really want to use on a character that can't quite ever seem to get where you need them to be in time. There is a statue in the town, which basically is like a large wheel... Uh, almost like a steering wheel of like a ship. And that is a monument of the landing of Parmesia. There's not a whole lot else you can do in the town right now. You actually end up having to go west to the desert to seek out some ruins and enter into a battle there. Um, did you notice anything else in the town or you know, after the Kraken and between the Kraken and this next fight? A little bit about this town. Um... Yeah, it's, it's covered in cobwebs. It's not just by the docks. It's pretty much all the stores. And so we find out this used to be a pretty big trading town. It's right by a pretty nice water source. But this Kraken kind of destroyed the town. I mean, because they just weren't able to trade. Traders would go and encounter the Kraken and then you're done. So that was an interesting little tidbit about this town. I will say that I this is my town. I licked my wounds in. Uh, that Kraken better really hit me. It cost me 990 bucks to heal my party. At this point, I had 9,000 gold. So that's a roughly 12% of my entire treasure trove went to this. We mentioned Kiwi before. I call him Tort. He died, and I just I abandoned him. He was not worth resurrecting to me. It's 10 gold per level, so he's like level 9. It's like I'm not paying. He dies every battle. I'm not paying the, the money for him to do nothing. So I just stopped resurrecting him. I obviously I plan to resurrect him once he could get in the caravan. So keep that in mind. Uh, especially for you, Matt. I know how you love your animals. Uh, he does get resurrected. He does have a happy ending, but it was not worth paying the money for. No, I mean, I, uh, I, I can't stand leaving people unresurrected, but I, I did a similar thing. I, I still had him resurrected, but I basically just stopped moving him. Like, I just would leave him in the back. Yeah, I was waiting for our first extra character, our first character beyond the character limit that you can have on the field so that I could take Kiwi out and put uh, the new person in. But that's still a little ways off at this point. Yeah, it caused a lot of problems with uh, anyone with any type of uh, pulse disorder that would that would bother you. It, it bothered me every single battle. Of course it did. I think it would be even harder to keep him in the back because that's just, I, I love pushing everyone a little bit forward. So to keep him back, wasn't even an option for me. That amount of money was six out of the 10 characters in my party died. So that's that amount of money, pretty extensive. This, as you mentioned before, is a Mithril place. It's my first Mithril I found. I think you're probably, what, at seven? Is that is that roughly where you were at? I think so, yes. <laughs> Sounds about right. You know, And the purpose of Mithril, at this point in the game, you don't even really know. But much later, there is a secret village you can find... And if you give the mithril to the uh, smith that's in the village, you can get better weapons. Um, And there are actually multiple versions of each weapon that you might get. Some are exceedingly rare and some are not as rare. Um, I haven't done it yet on this playthrough because we're still playing through it. But 
in past playthroughs I've done where you keep reloading over and over again, like trying to get the best weapons. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm just going to give him the mithril and, and get what I get. But you can, and on the on the actual Sega, or if you're playing it like not on a ROM of some kind, it's really tedious because you have to keep entering into the town. There's a long like route to get to the smith. And then you have to leave so he can create the weapons and then come back in. So if you try to get the most elite weapons, it is a maddening thing. You're like hitting your head against the wall, just trying to hope that you spawn the rare items. It's it's really rough. Yeah, that seems like cheese to me. And we're not we're not doing that. You know, we're not going back and redoing battles for the sake of getting experience. We're not running Carno. We're not trying to go and cheat the game in any way. You know, we're trying to be as natural as possible with the playthrough using our skills again on the hardest difficulty. Keep that in mind. But I did find my first Mithril, so I was pretty excited about that. And I also found a second one on the dock right near the uh, Pimento. So I use the Pimento on myself. And let me clarify here. My strategy is to make my character as OP as possible. Again, my goal is to beat Zeon. I'm genuinely afraid I can't do it because I've never done it without Karna cheese, you know, exploiting a character so i'm very nervous about it and i know my character is going to be in my party i know if i die then game over and so i'm going to make my character as strong as possible who did you use the pimento on so that's actually a really good strategy just for like for winning the game because your character is easily the strongest and it makes the most sense to just buff him as much as you can yeah so at this point in the game i had not used any of the items like the power water, the protect milk, the running pimento. I was saving them all till I was closer to deciding like who I was going to use, who I was going to promote, trying to decide, am I going to be using these characters I have right now later, or am I going to swap them out for somebody else? I do end up using one of the items it's actually the running pimento soon, but you'll see when we get there. The last thing I wanted to say about Dr. Road and the, the priest. I mean, we know from the Ribble, there's, you know, there's a ruins in this town called Ribble that basically they tell us, hey, go see Dr. Road. He's going to help you use these ruins to find what you need to find. That priest, man, he goes to sleep. He never wakes up. I mean, I'm glad yeah. you gave some clarification about it, but at every single stage as we progress, and I'm not going to mention it again, but every single time we did a battle, I went back to town to check on that priest. He's, <laughs> he was still like, I'm taking a nap. And so I was like, what in the world is this guy doing? Like the world, it doesn't matter what happens in the world. You know, I'll maybe I'll go back and, you know, try to go back after we are about to f- Zeon, you know, maybe, maybe then he'll wake up from his nap. He's like, nope, taking a nap, no info at all. So I'm glad you offered some clarification because it was such a random dialogue. That's that I hilarious. No about. I love that you, that you went back. Um, one thing that I always loved about this game is just the way that it looks. I love the art style. I love the way the buildings look. They're also like sturdy. They're like something that you would see. They're all made out of wood and like really nice. Like you can see like the floorboards and the walls and, and the bookcases. And I love how the little characters, the little sprites, how they get underneath of other ones. Like sometimes 
like a guy is laying in a bed, for example, and he's basically like under the covers in the bed, he would be standing up normally, but because the bed is there, it looks like he's laying down. It's just really interesting the way they worked with the graphics, I thought. Absolutely. And in addition to the graphic elements of the game, the dialogue elements too. So, you know, the reason I went back, it was not just like random, you know, I didn't just randomly say, Hey, let me check back on the priest. After you do certain missions, usually after a battle, even in the town, everyone's dialogue changes. So everyone has a certain dialogue. You could talk to them a million times outside of the mayor. They'll say the same thing. But after you do a battle or after something happens, the character's dialogue adjusts to what you did. So if you beat a battle, beat a certain devil, demon, whatever, they'll change what they say. Not this priest. So he was. So that's why I was going back because it's cool because because they'll adapt to the world you've created based on your actions. Except this guy, he just wants to take a nap. I mean, it's relatable. You know, I don't blame him. It's interesting that he's not in the church either. Like, because generally the priests are just in the church all the time. But except for that one that apparently left uh, his post because of Sheila, if you might remember from back in Gollum, uh, way back at the beginning of the game. But we still haven't met Sheila, and we certainly will meet her later on. So you head east from the town. Uh, You have to take the raft and then travel on land for a while. And then you reach this desert battle. The desert battle is not that hard, uh, but it's really slow because character movement in the desert can be really bad, especially for certain ones. Now, people like Peter, they can fly. It doesn't affect them. But others are really struggling to catch up in this battle. This is a random battle, really. I mean, you have to fight it, but there's no story to it. It's just on the way to your next spot that you're headed to. And so there are some archers, some more zombies, got a couple evil clouds. Um, We have some master monks. There's another mage. And the new thing here are golems. There are four golems, which are these sort of like clay type creatures. So getting into this battle, you know, what I really struggled with was just getting people moved up. So like there were certain characters that were doing all of the fighting and getting all the experience. And I had to really like rein myself in and wait turns past turns, waiting for my slow characters to get in hits. There were a couple situations where Kazin hit not anything huge, but he got a couple double blazes at least he got a blaze level two on a master monk and the mage at one point Uh, he was able to kill the mage i always love the multiple targets it feels so satisfying overall in this battle luke was surprisingly effective but that's because he didn't have any movement restrictions so he took out a couple enemies for me here Nobody really gained any interesting skills. Um, No new spells were learned. Sarah continued on her tear that she's been on for me. She's up to level 18 by the time we get to the end of this one. Most of my characters are like around 16. I have a couple around 17. Peter, I was still working on building up. Uh, He's now up to level 15 but I'm still actually feeding him despite him being a really strong character because of how far behind the AI had left me with him. I did have one character get killed. Do you care to guess who it was? I mean, it's Kiwi. 
No, I uh, I stopped moving him. He's in the back. It was actually Slade. I was having trouble with Slade up to this point. Now I um I really focused on building him up after this because he was starting to get behind on levels, and I really wanted to use him in my final force. But he can be tough because he has good movement. He's quick. It's easy to overextend him. And then he doesn't have great defense, so it's easy to put him in a bad position, and I definitely fell into that trap on this battle. He got knocked out pretty early, so uh, I'm going to be working on him going forward. So for this fight, instead of going east, I actually went west for a much harder battle, which we'll talk about later. So I did that battle. Then I went east, because that was the only place I could end up going. This battle, to me, it was a breath of fresh air because I needed it. I needed it for the slades of my party, the maze of my party, the, the people that were severely underleveled. And to remind our listeners how Shining Force works, you have 100 EXP to a level. When you get a kill, it's roughly 49 experience points. You get roughly experience points, uh, you know, 10 to 20 for attacking depending on the damage, but it really matters about the level of your character versus their character. And so for this one, especially these are all weaker characters. The monk class here was a weaker class than what we had fought previously leaving Mount Vulcan on. So these are very weak characters outside of the golems. They're the strongest, but everyone else is super weak. So it's a great fight to feed your weaker characters but your stronger characters will kill them and get one experience point, right? So if my character kills it, because I've got a high level, one experience point. If Slade does it, 49. So you really want to feed your weaker characters while keeping them alive. This is the opportunity to do that. And so I took full advantage of it because, again, I had so many characters that just were so incredibly weak. May included, you mentioned Slade. Because once, once Slade is able to get promoted, he gets some more skills. But right now he's pretty weak. You know, Chester's weak at this point. So you're just trying to level up these weak characters and great opportunity to do that. But again, as you said, you're in a desert. I mean, May was moving like two blocks, right? Whereas my character with, again, running, running Pimento could move like eight. And so it's very hard to not overextend your characters. You got to be patient, have your main characters take hits. But I was able to situate, understand who's the weak one, who's getting the kills. And so it was a very good fight for me just to level up a lot of my weaker characters and continue to feed Sarah. Cause again, Sarah, she's getting 10 experience points per heal, no matter what. And so that's 10 heals. She's getting a level. That's how she's leveling up. A lot of opportunities for her to gain some levels. Cause she was also under leveled uh, from the Kraken fight. So once you finish off this battle, you end up going into a little shrine looking icon on the map. And you see an old man uh, that is, very pushy when you first meet him. He thinks that you're somebody else. He says, Petro, is he back? And then he says, Petro, the Sky Orb is our treasure. Give it back. Say something, Petro. And then he realizes and says, oh, you're not Petro. Who are you? So you can continue talking to the old man and to another character who's there with him who is a bit younger. What you learn is that their family had ownership of this artifact that was called the Sky Orb. And the old man tells us that his grandson, who is this person named Petro, apparently stole the stone. 
and he went missing with it. The old man believes that his grandson may have gone to Grand's to operate an ancient vehicle, he says. He is not feeling very good about this, because he says, I've lost my purpose to live. The old man continues and tells you that he's looking for the Sky Orb, and that he really wants to go back to Grand's to try to search for it. Peter explains that we also want to go back there, and that the old man says that he can help us get back to Grand's, and we should go with him. So... You decide to follow him, and this leads us to yet another shrine. You basically backtrack the way you'd gone, and you will find a basically a cave-looking icon. And if you go in there, you enter into this sort of run-down, like, old temple. And apparently there is a door here that the old man thinks he can open and get us back to Grand Seal, where we came from. Now, before I actually went into this battle, I used the running pimento. Who do you think I used it on? This is actually really hard. I don't think you'd use it on Peter, because he's, he's got flight. You wouldn't value that. I think your character might be an option, but you don't really see him as a hero. I know you love Sarah and love Kazin. So I think I'm I'm honestly down to those four. Um, I think Because I know those four are going to be part of your final army. But then there's May, and May's had trouble running in the desert, and I know you have this adoration for her. So I'm going to say May. I'm going to say May. It was May. Yeah, that last battle where I couldn't get her through the desert, it really bothered me. And I was like, all right, we need some movement here. Because she is a lot more effective when she can get that movement. I go back to the battle after I took care of some things. I bought some weapons that I couldn't afford uh, back in Hassan, And I got May the Pimento. Uh, and went into this battle to try to hopefully get back to Grand's Island, get this old man to open the door. When you do enter inside, you know, there are a number of enemies that appear, and you don't really have any choice but to try to take them down, uh, to try to get to the door. Uh, this is an interesting battle because it has a very, like, mellow soundtrack to it. There's a certain kind of music that plays when you're in these temple shrine type locations and it's not at all battle music it's very like mystical and mysterious and sort of calming even so it's a strange sort of thing to be um fighting a battle in these sorts of places we're up against a bunch of golems five of them actually uh we also are introduced to gargoyles Gargoyles can be a little bit rough at first. They have a lot of movement, they are flying units, and they can stun you when they attack, meaning that your character is paralyzed and can't move for a certain number of turns. There are also arrow launchers. These are ranged units, just like regular archers, except they're machines that will fire arrows at you. Got a couple black monks, a master mage, so one of my main goals here was to work Slade a little bit better. So I was using him throughout the fight. He got a double attack on a golem at one point. Uh, that's always very satisfying. A lot of my characters were getting close to promotion level here. Not quite there yet. But when you hit level 20, you can promote to the next class. Sarah managed to get to level 19 in this battle, as did Geralt. 
Uh, he had a double hit on a Master Monk, killed him in one go. Peter, I used a ton in this battle also. I got him up to level 18, finally up to where he should be at this point. Uh, Slade, level 17, not bad. And Luke, even, with a double attack and a kill on a monk. You know, this is a fun sort of level because, again, it's inside. There's, like, different levels. There's, like, a top and a bottom to the map. There are some stairs on the side. The stairwells are a little bit tight. Um, If you're not careful, you can get rushed. The gargoyles can fly, so they can come at you really fast. They'll just fly down out of nowhere, go their whole movement, and just hit somebody. I tried to use D-Soul in this battle again. It failed uh, on a Master Monk, so unfortunately, no D-Soul here. Uh, Kazin was not able to pull that off. Um, This was a really good battle for me because I got a lot of characters, I feel like, in a better place. A lot of the weaker ones slayed in particular. And I didn't take any casualties. So I'm glad you mentioned Slade as the MVP here for you, because Slade was the MVP here for me, but in a different reason. So my son, he always, he loves being around me. And so he has been a part of this journey, but this, this was really when it started, especially. And so he was here for this battle and he saw the name Slade. And so I'm trying to like describe everything to him as to what's going on. I said, he's like, you know, what's the name of this character Slade, right? I'm like, his name's Slade. And he said, that's an epic name for an epic game. And I'm, I'm like, <laughs> how cool is that? You know, my son's listening wow. to this. Like, that's so awesome. Yeah. Like, Someone like, is, yeah, uh, is. is doing a good job parenting here. I mean, that's all I can say. <laughs> I mean, that's, I love that he just inherently knew that this was an epic experience. So epic. Yeah. You know, every dodge he got excited about, every single person that gets promoted he got so excited for because they changed and he's like, they're so epic now. And you know, he loved seeing the new spells, like especially Slade He's like, let's see the new spell. Can you please do that spell? So really cool. This fight to me, again, I had experience with the gargoyles prior because I went West. They are so strong. They hit so hard. And so may done Luke done just based on these gargoyles, because they're basically one shotting them. I mean, if they have one, even an ounce of damage from any other source, the gargoyle can come from anywhere across the map, like you had mentioned, even across ledges, and just knock them down. So those are my two casualties here. Hard to, you know, may, maybe on my next playthrough, I'll know how far gar- gargoyle can move uh, so I can get ready for that. Oddly enough here, the arrow launcher was the leader, which is kind of surprising to me. So I didn't get maximum experience efficiency. We had mentioned before how sometimes it's odd who the leader is. The arrow launcher was the leader, so okay. Like, there's no story behind it. It's literally a machine. But unfortunately, killing the arrow launcher ends the battle. So if you didn't kill all the units before that, you lose that experience potential. Yeah, the only reason I knew that was just from past experience, because it's you would have no way of guessing that he was the leader. Now, once the battle is over, the old man tries to open a door that is inside of this temple. He sort of lights up a little bit with uh, some white light, casting a spell, and he fails to open the door. He says that it's locked because his grandson locked the door, and he says, sorry guys, we can't go to Grand's Island this way. And then he just walks away sad and defeated, and you never hear from him again. 
Um, he gave up so easily and he just leaves. So I kind of feel bad for him, but nothing we can do. So you end up exploring. Uh, there's a chest that has an item that you need to progress. It's called the wooden panel. And there's also another chest with a power water, which can raise your attack. You basically have to return back to a town that you already had visited, which is actually May's town called Ribble. And that is where the wooden panel is going to come in handy. Yeah, so as you had mentioned, you know, we get the power water. I got <laughs> I got to lead off with a question. Uh, who do you think got my power water? Well, this is a tough one. I mean, who? I mean, I know that you are very dedicated to improving the your companions, you know, over yourself. So, I mean, certainly you distributed the power water equally amongst everyone. But now I, I'm going to guess that perhaps, perhaps you used it on your character, who happens to be named Paul, I believe. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I took it at like a shot in front of my teammates to let them know <laughs> who was in charge. <laughs> Again, I'm, I am very uh, all about myself here. Again changing the name of Bowie. I know that's that's yes. how you went. I wanted to be the hero here. I'm also going to be the strongest <laughs> character here. And yeah, so we get this wooden panel and we have no idea what it is. We go back to Ribble. So this is the first opportunity in Ribble to really promote ourselves. So when characters hit level 20, you can promote them to the next class. And I know there's a ton of debate about whether or not to do so. I know in Pokemon, you can hold off evolution and characters actually get better stats at their base level versus evolved. And I know my brother is actually a big statistician on this. He's very familiar with who you should level up and who you shouldn't. So you could theoretically have like a level 40 character without the class promotion. And again, I just, I didn't want to research too much into this. And so I just took them at face value. And so level 20, my first opportunity was Peter. And so I decided Honestly, because he just looks really cool and his attack looks really cool. And my son was really excited to see because I kind of pumped him up as like, yeah, he shoots a tornado out and he looks like a phoenix. And he looks really cool as opposed to the the Peter we see where he's kind of like this, like doesn't even have tail feathers. Honestly, he's got like this <laughs> little like exposed butt. So, yeah, I decided to promote Peter in this town. Did you have any characters that you could have promoted here that you promoted? No, because you had fought an extra battle at this point because you did the desert battle to the west of Hassan already after I do that battle, but I guess we're going to talk about it next. So I'll, uh, I'll hold off for now. Now to be interesting, it said you, you had gone to Ribble. I actually didn't go to Ribble. I got a wooden panel that I didn't know from ruins that I never experienced. And I know I said, I wasn't going to mention the priest again, but where do you think I went? <laughs> who's going to, who's going to tell me about this, but that town, I went to Dr. Road. And I'm like, hey, Dr. Road, here's this wooden panel I discovered from runes talking about this orb, the sky orb. Certainly, Dr. Road's going to know what's going on. No, offers no, nothing of value. The priest still taking his nap. <laughs> and so I'm kind of at a loss as to what to do here. Now, obviously, I've beaten the game before, so I knew in Ribble there is this tree. And really, the only way you know about it is when you click the tree, it says that it looks like something can be inserted into the tree. Is there any other like evidence behind using the wooden panel in Ribble here? Well, there's a guy who is by the tree that if you talk to him, says that he thinks that there are ancient ruins hidden nearby. He doesn't really tell you to use the panel. It's just something that you have to surmise 
which is um, not super intuitive, but yeah, you have to actually go up to the tree, use the panel, and then insert it inserts it into the tree. I guess it bothered me because at this point, I had been in these epic runes, fought these epic battles, gotten this wooden panel, and actually met Tauros himself because I had gone west immediately and, and met this like ancient creature sitting there. And here's Rode, this historian, who's like, I'm too busy. And so it, it, it kind of <laughs> like threw me off because, come on, man, you got to give me something here. At the end of the day, I did remember to go to Ribble put the wooden panel in the tree. Once you do that, it kind of opens up this set of stairs down into the tree. Um, and it's, it's like a new ruins, you know, the ruin type of area with the columns and whatnot. And in a chest there, you find an Achilles sword. Must be an epic sword, right? I equipped it to my character, gave me a plus three attack. That's what I was excited about. And then the next step is, okay, does Rhodes care about this i mean this is the achilles sword <laughs> certainly this has to be some kind of artifact that you'd care about again doesn't care about taros doesn't care about the wooden panel the runes the sky orb but maybe the achilles sword so going back to Rhodes here and then you talk to him and voila Rhodes says i smell something old so there's a new dialogue here i got really excited because i'm like yay i must have found something here so dr road gets excited and he says that we can get the ancient caravan with the sword. Now, we don't know what the ancient caravan is, but Dr. Rhodes really excited about it. And he decides to tag along with our party, not join our party. Again, he's just on the outside. We have no control over him. He's not going to be in the battles, but he's following us at this point. And he comes with us to get the caravan. Now, you did it differently. And so this is the first time that we're, you're encountering this battle. I had already encountered it, but I feel like you know, we'll share our experiences with this battle because they're really only, you know, a couple battles removed from each other. And so in this battle, we have golems who we have talked about previously, these sand creatures, Mali. Uh, you have your monks, your gargoyles, your arrow launchers, and some character we haven't talked about yet, the soul sowers. They're kind of these like fish-like monster creatures. They're pretty small, but they pack a punch. And then we meet the master mages again. What were your initial impressions on this battle? I believe that the way that I, the order in which I did the battles, probably easier than the order in which you did the battles, because you hit this one when you were fairly underleveled compared to where I was when I got to it. And those soul sowers are really strong. If you're in me melee range of them, they're very powerful. For me, this was a big battle because this is where a lot of my characters hit level 20. So after I finished the battle, I went back to Hassan and I went back to Hassan and I promoted everybody that was level 20. And you're right about that big debate, the stats, the statisticians out there that determine, oh, it's best if you promote at level 30 or level 35 or level 40. I never got into that, really. Uh, every time I've ever played the game, I promote people as soon as possible. And so that's what I did here as well. In this fight, the first person that hit level 20 was Kazin. Sarah, right after, hit 20. Peter hit 20. Then my character hit 20. And then Geralt hit 20. So for me, again, this one wasn't as strenuous because we were at a higher level at this point. It's another slow one. There's a lot of desert. You have to take it easy with those characters that are slow to try to get them in there. 
to allow them to get some hits in. Uh, everybody who didn't get to level 20 was one or two levels off of it at this point. But yeah, after this battle, I went and leveled up all those characters and I was ready to go to get that caravan, whatever it does. So for you, this was probably a bit different because your characters were a lot lower level at this time. Yeah, basically, Peter and I carried because we were the strongest characters at this point. And these characters, these enemies were high enough level where we got pretty much max EXP. So it's like we basically killed everything. We did everything, you know, and characters like May. It's like you said, I mean, she was in quicksand, man. It's like she moved maybe two blocks compared to six or seven for Peter and I. Now, again, I had running Pimento, but we just kept killing characters, getting max EXP. I was fine with it. That being said, when I went east to that battle, that's when it was really awesome because I was able to slow down and help him out. So it kind of evened out at the end. But yeah, this battle, especially, you know, May was just it's so hard to level her. She just could not move through the desert. And that's really what inclined me to guess that you use the running pimento on her because that's her glaring weakness at this point. It's just she can't move to get in a range, man. It's like she's she's two turns behind every other character if you're reasonably moving them here. And yeah, the soul sowers, they're so strong. As hard as we carried it, the soul sowers were hitting Peter for 14 out of 35 damage. So it's like a three shot for Peter. They're probably one shotting May. And they get a stun at a really high rate. You mentioned stun with gargoyles. They get a stun at a pretty high rate. And Slade ended up dying easy two shot, very weak. Not a terribly difficult battle, but definitely not without its own casualties. I felt like it was reasonable to feed some characters, especially Jaha. But by and large, you know, Peter and I, we just went and carried. And that's who I wanted to feed. It's like Peter, Sarah, and I. Like that that's basically my focus, because I'm thinking endgame here. And everyone else, I, I want them to improve to the point where they can. But as long as we're getting fully XP, I'm feeding our characters. I'm not giving them big kills. They'll get the kills once we're getting one EXP from a death. You know, I don't I'm not gonna waste EXP on a Chester. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, I understand. And I I did forget to mention that before this battle, I finally used most of my boosting uh, stat items. So I used both of my power waters that I had on my character in this case. Ah, so you, yes. know, you, you know, you're trying to be the hero here, trying to be this altruistic person. You know, you're not, you're, we're not so different here. <laughs> well, I mean, I won't deny it. Um, I did use the protect milk on Kazin, get him some defense. Uh, the interesting thing is that you get a random amount of stat increase. It's roughly, it's well, it's between one and five. For the, So like with the power water, when I used the first one, I got four, and then I got a two Ooh. on the second one, unfortunately. so I didn't know that was random, but yeah, yeah you can imagine a scenario using a ROM where you save oh, yeah. you, you know, until you get the, the five. That's nuts, though. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, Kazin, he got three. Slade, I used the Quick Chicken on Slade to boost his agility, just because that's his best stat, and I figured... Let's make him just dodge everything. And so he only got a two on that, but, you know, I used that on him. So does agility also influence who goes first? Because I feel yes. like Kazin goes first each battle because he has high agility. Is that also? Yes. Yeah, it's, okay. yeah, it helps. It helps decide turn order. Definitely. Yeah. One thing that I could have done here if I had been so inclined 
would have been to wait on Kazin promotion until I got a secret book that can give him a different class, can upgrade him to a sorcerer, but I stuck with his wizard upgrade instead, which is the one that he gets naturally. The other one, there's no choice. You upgrade yourself to a hero, you upgrade Peter to a phoenix, which he already was, and then you upgrade Geralt to basically this, like, wolfman type creature he essentially gets even hairier and he gets big claws and he looks like a wolf essentially looks like a a, like a werewolf type of situation but that matters thematically right because Geralt for whatever reason they view hair as like the puberty of you know whatever their people is and so for Geralt to have that it matters it means he's achieved manhood in that society. So it's like, to me, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's a pretty big thing. And regarding promotions of my character, I did get level 20 after this battle. And I, you know, Don was like, you know, what does that mean? And I said that, well, now I'm a hero. Those were the words I used. I'm a hero. Cause, Cause that is the class. And then he held my arm, no joke. And said, you're my hero. Oh, I'm like, what in the world? I'm trying to record Shining Force oh, here. Oh, man. And that's what my son tells me. And I'm just like, oh, oh it just. Oh, come on. It's everything's so epic, man. That's, it's oh, it's well, epic on top of epic on top of epic. And so how, I love having him there, you know, because it's like. That's amazing. Like, how, you, can't script, you can't script that stuff. Gonna say, it sounds like it was scripted almost. I mean, how, how perfect is that? I mean. I, I didn't even know he knew what hero meant. Best dad award right here. Geez, I mean, man. wow. I, let, let's just say I'm not just leveling up in Shining Force doing, <laughs> doing this episode. Indeed. So we head into the ruins here, and this is the Taros battle. Now, again, I had been here before, so I'd met him, and he basically said, I'm not going to fight you, yada, yada, and you get kicked out. You can't fight him. At that point, you come back. Now you can fight him, and here's this caravan in the background. Again, it's like a... I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a, a little mouse with logs hanging out. I don't even know how to describe it. You, you, you have to find a picture online for it, but that's behind him. So, you know, Dr. Rhodes got his eyes on that caravan, ignoring Taros here. Cause he doesn't help us in this battle for whatever reason. And this battle is essentially, it's pretty similar to what we just faced in the desert with the addition of Taros. He's this robot Terminator type character with this gigantic sword sticking in the ground he's teal and he's just like super intimidating i would say he's probably the most intimidating boss leader we fought do i mean is there a disagreement on that what were your thoughts on taros here no at this point in the game he's by far the strongest enemy and he has a really um, frustrating attack where he can do this really big bolt attack that has a huge range he can hit lots of people with it if you aren't careful about how you place them, which thankfully I knew about, but it can be hard. Like if it's your first time, your character is the only one that can equip the sword. You have to have the Achilles sword. You cannot hurt him with any other attack. So essentially you are forced to find a way to make your character endure standing in front of him and just whacking at him with the sword until you can take him down. So it's, it's a, he's a rough boss. Yeah. So 
you're right about that. I knew that going into the battle, but I still pretended like I didn't. So I had characters that had turn priority over me, still attack him. But yeah, he's immune to any other damage outside of the Achilles sword. Unfortunately, that overexposed me. And to give some context for how insane Bolt is, it's Bolt level two. So like Blaze, Bolt, Freeze, all level one, it's like a cross. So you're hitting five squares. This is like a diamond in range, a big diamond. And so you're probably looking at like upwards of, of 12 to 15 targets. I, I haven't done the exact math, but it's it's a gigantic sphere of people. So if, if you decided to attack him all out, and then he hits you with that bolt level two, game over for your party. I mean, just, and again, they can't actually deal him damage. No, not at all. And weirdly not enough. Even spells, he, not even spells, because I tried spells yeah. again. Nothing. No, and, he, and the thing that's interesting, though, is that he can't move. He's in one square, and he stays there the whole time. So, I mean, for me, knowing that, I mean, I my strategy was similar to when I fought the Kraken in that I used the power ring on my character. So, like, after I, I was careful to eliminate all the other enemies without drawing his spell onto my party... Uh, and then I basically just made sure my main character was healed and I used the power ring on him. I sent him in and he was able to take out Taros pretty easily because I hit a heavy blow on him. So the heavy blow was huge. I mean, it took him down tremendously. Uh, I ended up hitting him a second time after that and that got him down to three health. I almost two-shotted him, and then I had to go in for a third hit. I took some hits from him there, some lightning hits, but I actually was able to use Peter. I flew him in and had him heal me, and then I also had Sarah nearby casting heals. And the way that he decided to attack in this battle, he didn't really take advantage of the big bolt as much as you would expect. So I was able to down him without any problems. I actually didn't lose anyone. Like, this is the first time that I did this battle without losing somebody because he just didn't take the opportunity to take people out that he could have. So I got a little bit lucky on that. But my character was never at risk. He he hit him so hard with that heavy blow. Well, How, how long does the power ring last turn-wise? It varies. I, I would say roughly three yeah, because I have the power ring equipped, so I'm like, if I if I had used it on myself, well, you what can. would happen? You can't use it on yourself. You uh, have to, it has okay. to be on a different character. Ah, see, but, yeah. see, but that would make me weaker. In the, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> um, in this fight, I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm the strongest person in the party. That's what I went for. I one-shot a Soul Sayer. Whoa, soul nice. Sower yeah, yeah. With a double attack to give some context. So, like, I'm super strong. I got the power ring equipped. Got my power waters going. No real problems here in terms of beating him. I, I'm not sure how many turns it took for me to attack and kill him, but probably not three. I, I don't remember getting any critical blows. The only other notable thing is that in this battle, May and believe it or not, Luke hit level 20 in this battle. So that's wow. Yeah. That is wild. <laughs> so I ended up um, getting both of them promoted. And strangely, my character, when he defeated Taros, he learned bolt level two because of his level up that he got. So it was sort of poetic. 
This is this is like Voldemort and Harry right now, you know. Like you defeated him and got that imprint <laughs> yeah. on your on your character completely. If you didn't know yeah. the game otherwise, you'd be like, oh, maybe I maybe that's where I acquired it from. You know, it would make sense. Game. I mean, it's basically how it went. So after Charles is defeated, Road ends up getting his caravan. So he's really excited. Again, you know, he's driving the caravan. He's leading the caravan. It's this object that follows you everywhere you go. And it basically shrinks our army. You kind of go inside of it somehow. It must have some magical attributes. But now you finally get to do certain things that you couldn't. So if you're beyond your party limit, you can deposit troops and put other ones in. You can store items that you wouldn't otherwise be using. So your mithril, they've been holding on this whole time where you want to have healing seeds and healing drops, etc. Now you can free up some space. So, you know, Road got his, his caravan despite doing nothing. But hey, he's willing to help us out. Uh, we go back to Hassan. And again, this is Dr. Rhodes' town with the cobwebs. And you run into Rick, who is a centaur similar to Chester, like same class, etc. And he's there and just says, hey, I want, I want to join you. You defeated the Kraken. You know, the town's open for trade. It's open for business. You've saved this town. I'm going to come and help you. In terms of the blacksmith here, there are some weapon upgrades um, we finally see this leather glove appearing, which we is not attributable to a character yet. So it's a little bit interesting. I didn't know exactly where that was going to go yet. And gave Slade his promotion. Um, Slade and his promotion is now going to get magic points. So he's going to be developing some elemental spells similar to a wizard. So that'll be interesting. Jaha was made a baron with the warrior pride, which again, this is very armored, strong character, can use swords or axes. Technically, he actually gets plus one attack for using a sword, but I used axes with him and, and continue to do so just based on lore because I, I prefer axes a little bit better. Um, you're also offered the broadsword, which for whatever reason is actually a plus attack from the Achilles sword. So here's this epic sword that you just acquired to defeat Taros, and you could just immediately buy a new sword. And I will say that I took the Achilles sword, and despite it being a rare item, that if you go to the merchant, you get extra money because it's a rare, unique item. I stored mine in the caravan, so I'm curious about your what you did with the Killy Sword and what your early promotions were here. Oh yeah, I stored it. I, I don't sell rare items. Uh, there's no reason, but I just just for the role play, I kept it. In this one, I upgraded May and Luke, uh, promoted both of them, and I mentioned before that Sarah had hit level twenty. But I did not promote her. And that was before the last battle. That was two battles back that she hit level 20. This was a rare case where I didn't promote somebody. It wasn't because I was trying to play the stats game, though. It's because I was waiting for a special item so that I could upgrade her to a different class. Uh, If you upgrade her right at level 20, she becomes a vicar. But there's another class that she can become called a Master Monk, which I greatly prefer. And you need an item for that. So I'm waiting for that to happen at this point. I purchased a bunch of items from that merchant. I thought it was interesting that he's not like the official merchant of the town. He's like the shady dude who's standing by the gate of the town uh, that has the upgraded weapons for whatever reason. Regarding the glove that you mentioned, that is one that I also could not use yet because I was waiting to upgrade Sarah, but we will uh, get there pretty soon. 
I also remembered that I had forgotten a mithril. Um, there's a mithril that you can get out in the wilderness. It's like out toward the one desert battle that was off to the east. There's basically like a bridge that you can walk across at one point and some mountains that are there. And if you search like the exact right place on this part of the mountain that like juts out from the rest of it, you can get a mithril. So I got that and then I dumped a whole bunch of stuff in the caravan, like all the mithrils and then the Achilles sword and some other random items that I had. Man, that felt good to get those items out of your inventory. Bought some healing items, you know, filled up some of those character slots with healing items, using healing drops mainly at this point. Well, healing drops, I mean, that's that's pretty elite. I mean, oh, healing yeah. drops are 300 gold and characters, as I said, it's 10 gold per level. So at this point, when you're promoting these characters, they're level 20. So to resurrect them, it's 200 gold. Mm-hmm. So Matt's spending 300 gold to stop a character from dying, right? He's going to cost him 200 gold. He's looking to protect his troops, a true leader, I would argue. Well, but it's part of that. And then part of if a character dies in a battle, they're not getting any experience. So, you know, if you're trying to like really work with certain characters, you've got to keep them up. So, you know, it's a trade off. I find that in this game that I end up having like way more money than I need at a certain point. So, I figured I could probably take the hit on on purchasing the the healing drops. Yeah, the last time I played it, I ran into that issue with money, I felt. I like for whatever reason remember that and so I was very very cautious about spending money. Like even equipping Luke, I was like, "Ugh, I don't want to buy him <laughs> a sword here." But well, you know what part of it might be was especially in this playthrough because I was destroying every single enemy in every battle. So you get more and more gold that way. So I, I'm like flush with cash at this point. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. You know, going for the leader first, not getting the the full money and experience per battle. Just not the way to go. So at this point, honestly, there's no real direction in the game, by and large. You have no idea where to go. So I just kind of explored everywhere. I had one random desert battle. Again, we talked about doing these random encounters. They're not very frequent. It's not like Final Fantasy VII or something where it's popping up every single time. But sometimes you get them. They're not a whole ton of experience, but it is what it is. We, you know, we decided we're not going to egress from them. We're not getting a ton of experience from them, but you know, you get some gold and maybe some of your weaker characters. So I did have one battle that's again not noteworthy. Similar battle as before with you know golems and monks and whatever, but nothing like. You know, my character's not getting 49 experience points from that. I did note in this one battle that Slade was punching people. And I was it was kind of weird, but Slade, once he gets promoted, cannot use his daggers anymore. And so you don't know exactly what to equip Slade with. Thankfully, yeah. I realized that at this point, but yeah, Slade did not have a weapon that he could equip. No, uh, <laughs> um, that happened to me at one point, and I should have known better, but I just totally forgot. And he needs a sword. And unfortunately, I didn't have one at the time. So I went through a whole battle. This was later uh, than where you were with him, where he was just punching the whole time. Uh, and we'll talk about <laughs> that when we get to it. But I also had one of those random desert battles. I didn't really mention it because not much happened. I 
you know, I got a couple levels here and there, but it, you know, it was a pretty quick affair. I think it was the same one that you had probably, but yeah, you wouldn't have any direction here. You're right. Um, eventually what you realize is that the caravan, right. Can traverse some different terrain that the raft couldn't. Yeah. So obviously with the raft, you have water, but there are these like, it's like pebbles or something Mm -hmm. in water. That's kind of blocking off your raft. That's what the caravan can walk over. Now, how it does that, I don't know. To me, it's like Oregon Trail, where you're like fording a river. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that's to me what it, that's the vibe here because I have no idea how you're doing it, but that's what it seemed like. And so, it does give you access to new territories you would not otherwise know about. But again, there's no previous knowledge as to how you're able to get onto that. You know, it doesn't explain to you. The game does not explain to you that your caravan can do that. And so you're able to get to this new area and you end up going to a cave where there are some individuals, dwarves, gnomes. I'm not entirely sure what they are, but they're trying to dig through the cave. One of them's sick and needs some kind of assistance, but they're unable to dig through the cave. Um, I was able to find a dry stone in the fireplace here in the little fire pit they had. Not sure what that does yet. And... As you leave, you then see this random square that's kind of miscolored in a forest. And so you walk in, and it's like a special fairy-type village. And beautiful music, a lot of trees, a lot of nature... Just it's like a lodge in the middle of the woods here. Yeah, I kind of you know what it reminds me of is um because I think of this as like an elf village. It kind of reminds me of Rivendell in Lord of the Rings. Is it's this hidden space. And there are all these different elves there. There are some fairies too, but there are these elves there. And there's you know some secret items there. There are some trees that are around the border that you can kind of wander through and find some chests. And so, yeah, it kind of is like a, a Rivendell vibe, like a place that you can rest and, and sort of recover a little bit. Yeah, very peaceful. Very loving. Great music. We're going to be playing that music here, no <laughs> doubt. Oh, yeah. That'll that'll be in there for sure. In here, I found a secret book in a library shelf. Again, you had mentioned that before with the wizard class. It promotes them to sorcerer. You know, we have no idea what that item means, at least at this time. And a Vigor Ball was also in a chest as well, which is a, will play an important item later on, as we've discussed. We find out, you know, talking to the different townspeople that there is a fairy that exists and the fairy knows the location of Creed's mansion. Now, again, that was the reason we had left Mount Vulcanon on the raft was to find Creed's mansion. We don't know really much beyond that, but unfortunately the fairy is missing. So we need to find the fairy and the person who knows where the fairy is, is a person named Elric. And again, we have no idea who Elric is. So we're kind of left in the dark. After exploring the village, finding all the items, you end up leaving and then encountering a battle. Yeah, and so after this, you know, I had the item that I needed to upgrade Sarah to a monk, so I was able to use the Vigor Ball, uh, upgrade her to the Master Monk, got her the leather glove that she needed as a weapon at this point. Um, This is a big change for Sarah because she now is able to do some pretty decent hand-to-hand damage. I mean, she's punching people left and right after this. So a lot of fun. Uh, I think much more entertaining. You could argue that the Vicar class is probably 
more useful as like a healer, but I just think she's a lot more fun to play as a master monk. So definitely looking forward to using her in this next fight here. And yeah, like you said, we're into this big forest battle. What kind of enemies are we seeing here? So in this battle, we have our gargoyles that we had mentioned before. We're introduced to orcs, which are like these, uh, to me I thought they were like female, chubby creatures with armor, but a lot of skin exposed. And they got this big pike of some sort, but kind of like a viking. It's like kind of like a viking type vibe. We have high priests, which are new. Uh, they're kind of like, uh, they're new and they're bald, chubby, and blue. Um, we have dark madams, which are also new. Uh, they're pink mages. Kind of like witches with a big staff. We have the Sosayers that we had mentioned before and our arrow launchers. This battle specifically, this is Rick's time to kind of like expose what he is. He is what he is. I mean, he is Chester. I mean, he's pretty useless. <laughs> um, he got stunned immediately for 33% of his health Whoa, uh, against one of the against one of the sowers. Um, this is when I first learned that it could stun because he was just stunned most of the time here. And he lost two turns from the stun. So he was like, this is his <laughs> debut real battle for me. And he just was completely useless, unfortunately. The orcs themselves, they got really high defense, pretty low HP, high defense. I would kind of liken them to like a Jaha type where they got pretty high armor, lowish health, but high armor, and then and pretty good attack. Good targets um, for magic for like Blaze, you know, if you're using Kazin on them, he's... Because he can really tear through their health easy. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, it's, it's lowish HP, but pretty high armor. Like Peter, for example, only hit for seven damage out of 30. And so for Peter, that's a five hit. That's that's like nuts. I mean, when you actually think about it, because like, as we talked about, the Kraken was a, a four hit for Peter. But again, as you said, that's the benefit of having uh, different wizards here. And yeah, so, you know, Slade hit level two here, and he got his two magic points. So this is the first reveal that Slade can cast some spells. But really a, you know, a pretty basic battle to me. Nothing too crazy. It just reiterated Rick's failure as a class, Chester's failure as a class and um introduced this concept of the orc, you know, this high defense, low HP type class. Yeah, you know, for this one I actually did a little bit of a strategy that I use sometimes where you have these characters that can heal and sometimes I'll hit them just enough that they don't die, and then they heal themselves, and then I hit them some more, and then they heal themselves. And I use that on weaker characters to get them some attacks in. So I did that a little bit here. I had a couple more people hit level 20. You know, Slade hit level 20 for me. One person that I was trying to work on to get to level 20 was Jaha. I had a very frustrating situation where... I had him up against a gargoyle, and I was like, this will get him to level 20. The gargoyle dodged him the first attack. He dodged him again on the second attack. It wasn't until the third attempt that he finally killed the gargoyle and hit level 20. Chester somehow managed to hit level 20 on this one as well, even though I hadn't really been actively trying to use him because I knew that I was going to eventually get him out of the party at this point. You know, Luke is already promoted. I'm still using him, but I know he's going to be out at some point as well. Kazin had a successful D-Soul against a Soul Sower. So that was pretty cool, man. Love to see that. 
So you reap what you sow, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> he, he reaps souls and then <laughs> boom, Kazin took him. You know? That's it. That's, that's what happens, man. It's karma, karmic sort of circumstance here. Oh, and Rick hit level 20 on this one. I think whenever I got him, he was level 19. So yeah, by the time the battle was over, I had a lot of people to level up here. I ended up getting from one of the priests that I killed a shining ball dropped, uh, which is really just an item that you can use to attack. It does slightly more than a regular attack. It's not really that great, <laughs> to be honest. I had some of my characters that were already promoted going up level two, but yeah, after the battle, I went back, got Chester and Rick both up to Paladins, promoting them. Jaha used the Warrior Pride just like you did to get him to the Baron class. And then Slade up to Ninja, because for me, he was behind where yours was, so I got him up to that level. The only other highlight I want to mention is May here, and we got into it in the Discord a little bit about how <laughs> she was level 18 here in this battle, and she just hit it Oof. in this battle. Because, again, it's just it, it's a full-time job leveling her up at this point, and like I even fed her a Soul Sower here. With one HP. I was like, May's got to hit this. She missed him. Mm. But that's how she got 18. Like, she got the one EXP. She had 99, went to 100, leveled up. So it's like, I'm still waiting for her to pay off. I'm still waiting for that. I know you've already used a running pimento on her. So it's like, you know, there's a huge disconnect here between our Maze. Oh, I would argue. my May was just tearing it up. I mean, she could move so fast. She was hitting everything. She actually got the last kill uh, in the battle, I think. And she also was the one who got the Shining Ball, the drop that happened. Um, yeah, she's level two promoted for me at this point. So yeah, she's one of my one of my main, um, you know, go-tos here. So after this battle, we kind of go further west through the woods here. And for whatever reason, Adler starts screaming. He starts reacting to something he hears something going on and Peter is very curious, like Adler, you're blind. Like what's going on? But Adler somehow knows there's an area that we can approach. So it's very odd. Adler. Pun pun intended. That (laughs) that he senses this area to go into, but Peter's, you know, he's a little suspicious here and we decide to follow Adler, this blind kid, right? Towards the West. We enter this little, it's like a little circle on the ground, really pretty inconspicuous, but it is in the ground. We can see it. And as we go there, we enter a new territory. And it's basically a path with ledges leading all the way up to this pool. And there's an elf drowning in the pool. We see a harpy there. And a harpy is basically a, it's a bird, you know, with, with big talons, but obviously it's talking to us. And they describe that this pool existed to kind of trap people in it so they could eat. And this harpy is describing this elf character sitting in there, this boy, as dinner. The harpy says, did anyone bring the ketchup? I love They're that ready line. To eat. <laughs> They're ready so to eat here. Love and... that. Herpetines. That's the only brand that I'll eat, let me tell you. And that's a point of pride for uh, anyone from Pittsburgh. It's only Heinz. Heinz or nothing. Not hunts, that's for sure. Let me tell you. Get that out of here. 
<laughs> you mentioned product placement and Shining Force yeah. 2 here. Heinz ketchup. Yes. Uh, did anyone bring the Heinz ketchup with the R over the Heinz <laughs> or whatever? I could see that. So good. Anyway, they want to eat this kid, and we decide for whatever reason, because we're heroes, we're going to save him. And so, boom, we enter a new battle. And it's basically kind of the same battle as before. You know, we got the Dark Madams, who are these witches. They have the spell Freeze. We have the High Priests that we mentioned before. The Orcs, we mentioned before. And we have the introduction of the Harpies. As I described, they're these bird-like creatures with big talons and immense movement. And that's about all we know about them at the start here. How did you feel about this battle? Harpies are rough. I mean, they fly down, they have huge movement, and they have a tendency, for, in my case anyway, to go after weak characters. One other big problem with harpies is that they can poison you, which is something that is incredibly frustrating. This is a rough battle. I was able to make a lot of gains in it, but one big problem was that I forgot to get a sword for Slade, uh, which we had discussed. This is the battle where I had promoted him. So he's going fisticuffs throughout this whole battle. He's getting one damage. I made it a personal challenge that I wanted to have him get one kill in this battle, despite not having a weapon. So I basically needed to get Slade to attack somebody with one health. So let's see how that played out. (laughs) Um, I was getting hit by harpies left and right. A lot of people got poisoned. I like couldn't stop it. It was just constant. When they hit you, it's not guaranteed that they will poison you. There's a certain chance that it'll happen. But I was just getting wrecked with poison. Like everybody that got hit was getting poisoned. So Sarah was doing double, triple duty here, running around, trying to heal people, detox people. By this point, my Sarah had heal level three, which was a massive help in this battle because it heals for way more than what level one and two do. Uh, My character was very key to defeating these harpies. I was critting uh, a couple times here. May is very good against the Harpies. She was critting. Kazin learned Blaze level 3 in this battle. So that was massive. He was going around just wrecking people with that. By the time I managed to get down to the end here, I got one of the Dark Madams down to 2 health. And I was able to get Slade up against that uh, character He hit, but only for one. So I had to endure a whole nother round. But I did manage to get Slade to finish off the Dark Madam. And that was the last kill of the battle. So I felt uh, very justified uh, that I was able to get Slade a kill with no weapon. I did have Peter getting exhausted. Because I sort of overextended him to go after those harpies. So that wasn't great. But yeah, lots of... New spells here. Got heal level three, blaze level three. Pretty good stuff. I love that Slade in this battle is like me with Luke in the Kraken fight, where it's like you're trying to, you know, poke away, but Slade's actually good. Yeah. He just is like, give me a sword, man. Like, give me some weapon, whereas Luke just is complete garbage. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's great as a ninja. Like, you know, his promoted level, but man, I just, I dropped the ball. 
it is what it is. I mean, I, I did the same with Luke in the Kraken fight. Um, it happens. And again, we're honest about it. You know, we're not going to reload the state and, and retry it or anything like that. I think, yeah, the Harpies, oh my goodness. I don't want to say you undersold it because you said they were really strong. They are. So that is a one shot with a critical hit. That is one hit and then literally anything else. And the poison's super annoying there as well because Sarah's literally the only person that can do it. She has the heals and the detox to cure the poison. Unless you're stacking antidotes, poison, poison's like, it's such a random thing. I mean, it really is. Very few characters even get it, but if you do, it's two damage every single turn, and it transfers to battles. So it's like it's it's so annoying, but there is an item that can do it, but it's so random and so rare. You almost never stack antidotes. You'd rather just stack health, and so you need Sarah's detox to do it, but she has to heal people every turn because it's like if Kazin goes down to three health with poison, she's the one that has to heal him. So... That's where, you know, medical herbs here were very prominent for me. Um, I'm still using them instead of healing drops. I'm not, I'm not splurging like you, but I use a ton of medical herbs here. And yeah, it's, you know, May finally blossomed here. I mean, she really was getting a ton of kills. She's very good against the harpies because they're overextending against us. And so she's able to come in, get some kills. Her movement's not destroyed by the desert and they're super aggressive. So her lack of movement here was not a big issue for me, but all in all, good fight. You know, Kazin got Blaze level three as well. You know, he he's blossoming, but again, man, to almost get one shot by a harpy is pretty brutal. So after this battle, you you get Elric kind of following you around. We know this character Elric. He's basically this elf with the green hat. Um, he's got long white hair. And we know he knows where this fairy is. And again, the fairy knows where Creed's mansion is. So, okay, where's the fairy, Elric? You can't talk to him. You have no idea. I wanted to reach out and say, Elric, where is the fairy? Yeah. Can't do that. And so you're looking around with Elric for this fairy, but you have no direction because he doesn't tell you where the fairy is. You would think that would be an important conversation to have. Then you don't get it. And so, Matt, like, I walked around for a very, very long time doing this. And I didn't look it up, but I just kept wandering around the whole world, trying to find where this fairy was with Elric somehow. Turns out I went back to the pool where you originally start the battle. And then that triggers the Elric conversation into a magical cave right in front of where you were at. Yes, it's right there. How would I know that? How (laughs) would I know to do that? I mean, I left. Why would I go back to where I just left to trigger the conversation? Great question. You have to walk over. There's like a little hole in the ground that you basically walk over, which is where that battle was located. And yeah, you have to go right back to the spot. I don't, I, but there's no reason why you would do that. No, none. No one tells you to. It doesn't look like you would. There's no explanation. And the cave that you end up going into is closed. Like it's not, there's no opening. Like you wouldn't know to go in there because Elric has to let you in. So it's, uh, yeah, it's another little little mystery <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, it's again, you know, old school games, pretty hardcore. Um, yes, for people nowadays. But I, I ended up because I had no other options, so I was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll go back here, and maybe I missed uh, something, etc. In this pool area, but turns out, yeah, you're right. You just go, you literally leave and go back into where you came to trigger the animation to get you to the next spot. As you go through the cave, you end up going through some stairs, 
you emerge, and then there's another battle. And so this is basically the battle to Creed's mansion. It ends up being, again, a pretty similar battle to the one you just fought. Uh, you have orcs, high priests, dark madams, harpies. The main addition here is a skeleton. Um, he seems to be the leader. He's kind of isolated. He's the, he's the new character here, so it seems like he must be the leader here. So this is a new battle on our journey to Creed's mansion. When you go through the cave, there are some secret chests that you can find. Um, there are There is this area on the screen, if you look right at the bottom of the screen, uh, it looks all just dark and black, like there's nothing there. But there's like a little discolored version of one of the blocks, and you can walk through it. So you go down through a secret tunnel and then out to another secret tunnel. And there are three chests. They have a medical herb, an angel wing, so both useless, basically. But also a brave apple. A brave apple can automatically give you a level on a character. I didn't use it yet, but I have it. There's also another hidden tunnel that is, like, even further down. If you go down from the center of the three chests directly toward the bottom of the screen, you go down into another screen and there is a mithril in a chest. So lots of stuff here in this cave. Well, I missed all that. So <laughs> no, <laughs> I might go back and get that. It's kind of like the yeah. rare candy of Pokemon. Yes. Get, a, yeah. get the apple. That's pretty OP. It is. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, yeah, regarding the uh, the battle, though, one thing that's important, it's a good idea in these battles, and I dropped the ball on this when, when I was in the power ring battle. If you select the enemies, you can see the items that they're carrying, and like you have to go into, if you hit a button so that you can move the cursor around the battlefield, like independent of your characters. You can click on an enemy and then it'll tell you what items they have and it gives you information about them and stuff. So you can see if they have a strange item. And one of the dark madams in this battle has the protect ring. The protect ring is pretty important because... It raises your defense when you equip it, but you can also use it, much like the power ring. Uh, but the power ring only is used on one target at a time. The protect ring can be used on several, sort of like a blaze level 2 type of area. So that raises defense if you use it for all those characters. It's really important. You want to kill that character with somebody who has a free slot in their inventory so that they can get the item. Otherwise, you have to go buy it from a merchant and it'll be really expensive, like when I had to spend 3,000 gold to get the power ring. Yeah, so for me, this battle was a lot like the one before. It's a similar type of terrain. Not the one before, so not the harpies, but the forest battle before that. But yeah, May was going around critting some people in this one. I had Elric in my party now. I finally removed Kiwi from the party, so Elric's in there. He's pretty weak, uh, but he's one of those ranged units. Uh, he can hit from a couple squares away, so I used him to hit Harpies uh, like I was using him in May to sort of team up on Harpies and do these distant attacks. Sarah still doing her stuff, too, with heal level 3. Big improvement. Kazin with another successful D-Soul 
on a priest. Pretty epic. Peter is the one who did end up killing the Dark Madam and getting the Protect Ring, so I did successfully pull that off. Yeah, so, you know, with regard to Alric, he's got, like, a crossbow. He's similar to, like, May in terms of what he does. I think May's better here. The skeletons here are kind of the, you know, the skeleton here. He is the leader, but he is kind of the strongest. And this battle, to me, really just highlighted Luke's uselessness because... <laughs> Like, for example, the skeleton hit Luke for 27 damage out of 35 health, which is a massive percentage. And Luke, OP, countered for three. So <laughs> that's that's the type of character you're dealing with with Luke. Like, he is not worth keeping around. Unfortunately, I would have subbed him out, I guess, for Kiwi, but I just forgot to do it. You know, I just, it, it wasn't even on my mind. So Elric was not in my party here, and I noticed that in the battle. Because I guess Kiwi, though he's exhausted, is still part of the party until you deposit him into the caravan. And so Elric did not immediately join my party. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting fight. Again, May, with the Robin arrow now, is able to really deal some damage. I mean, she's she's hitting pretty hard here. A lot better than Elric. So I'm kind of warming up to May. You know, she's over level 20 now, so I get to level her up, promote her. And I'm liking where she's going. This is the first level up for my character where I got three defense. So it seems like, you know, typically I, you, you'll get like two attack, two defense maybe. This is a three defense upgrade. So this was kind of out of the ordinary for my character, getting some defense here. And yeah, you know, you leave that battle and you continue to proceed west. Here's Adler again, you know, with his, with his sixth sense in some capacity. He knows somehow it's Creed's mansion. Peter... It's like, you know, how do you know that you're blind? What's going on here? Peter posits that Adler's blindness may have heightened his other senses. And so maybe he's getting some sixth sense. So again, Peter's super suspicious here of Adler. At this point, knowing it was Creed's mansion, I went back. I removed Luke from the party for Elric. But that's when I realized that Tort was actually still part of my party, even though he was exhausted. So as much... As much as I want to get rid of Luke, again, he never hits level 20 for me. He's already hit level 20 for you. I, I put him in the back because he's so useless. He's so useless. I end up having to throw Luke in the party again. And then we go to Creed's mansion. And again, this is this is the place where we've been wanting to go this whole time. We found the ferry. Alric, it's all led us here to this exact moment to Creed's mansion. We kind of walk in and we hear Creed wanting to talk with this fairy. His servant Goliath comes out to go check on his collections. Okay, we don't know what the collections are necessarily. This Goliath character, he won't let us in the door, and he's kind of teleporting back and forth between the door to Creed and the door to these collections to stop us from going in. He says, you can't enter. We say, okay, we're going to leave. That's enough. Goliath kind of believes us and kind of leaves us alone um, for whatever reason. So his guard's down. But again, Creed's talking to this fairy here, and we're very curious because we know we got to get to the fairy. And we decide to go into the collection room. So Goliath's in front of the room leading to Creed and the fairy talking. And we decide to go into the collection room. Unfortunately, something happens where we immediately get shrunk. We're cast under some sort of spell. And then Goliath says that, hey, you know, you're not part of the collection. Pretty fun little animation whenever you 
touch the door and it shrinks you. It does like a little effect that you can kind of see there. And now, you know, you end up as part of the desktop kingdom. Uh, he basically deposits you onto the desk and there are all these tiny little people and you are now also quite tiny. Um, it's a cool little area. It's basically like a little village, but there are no houses or anything. I mean, there's stuff made out of books and brushes and pens and all kind of stacked up to make different levels. There aren't any shops or anything, though. I mean, there, there's a priest who can uh, do resurrections and save. But aside from that, like, you can't get any items here. There are no new weapons. There's no shops of any kind, uh, which is interesting because you're about to experience one of the most intense battles of the entire game on this desktop kingdom. To me, this whole kingdom is kind of like the movie, uh, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, or Honey, We Shrunk the Kids. Oh, man, classic, yeah. You know, it's Rick Moranis, right? And he's, you know, he shrinks the kids, and the kids are trying to explore this world where they're tiny, and the bugs and the leaves and everything are so big to them. That's kind of what this is, right? It's on a desk, but everything's so big. I mean, we would fit in, like, five of us would fit into one of the pens, right? And so it's like we are miniature people in this world. And it's an interesting experience. And we're going to go on a great adventure here. So on the desktop kingdom, there are a number of people you can talk to. A couple of them have names and they actually have drawn like animated uh, pictures of their faces. And that normally means that they're going to be important later. So we have Karna. Karna says, are you from the outside? Why did you come here? Ah, a mistake I see. I suggest you see the king. He's a good man. There are some other people, uh, like an old man that tells you that they have no concept of time here and that they never get old or die. So this is a very unusual place that we have found ourselves in. Eventually what happens is you talk to the king of this desktop kingdom, and he tells you that you need to battle his chess set. There was an actual chess board over on the side and a whole chess army. So you have to go onto the chessboard, and when you do, your party basically is spread out on the different checkers of the board, uh, the different squares, and the people that are on the opposite side are actually chess pieces. Uh, and so you have no choice but to go to battle with them. The weird thing about this is that the chess pieces, they're not really the right number of pieces, like if you actually play chess, because there are eight pawns, two rooks, two knights, two bishops, that's all fine. But there are three queens instead of one. And then we have the king. Now this battle, whoo, this battle. I got, I got to pause you here. Can we talk about this land, this area here? I mean, where are they? I mean, they're in like perpetuity here. It's like a purgatory of some sort, and they're just living here for no reason. And then this king is saying, hey, prove your worth. I mean, this is like Hunger Games type stuff. Like, (laughs) does he get enjoyment from watching us fight this battle? I mean, this is crazy here. And does he have any power or control over what happens? To me, it's just, I'm trying to figure out like what's going on, why are we here, etc. And I'm just mystified. I mean, what are your initial thoughts on just like what's happening here. 
I mean, for him, it seems like a sport. I mean, because he definitely, like, when you finally win, like, he he seems very, like, he just watched a, so, you know, it kind of reminds me of, like, a gladiator fight, something like that. It's sort of the vibe that I get from it. But, yeah, he seems to be, like, really into this idea of us fighting the chess set. The king himself, he's really just another guy that is part of the collection, but I... Maybe he was a king in his previous life. Who knows, man? But I don't know how he got there. I don't know where he got the chess set from. And the chess pieces all are like characters. They're they're not just like regular. When you look at the icon of them, the pixel, they look like regular chess pieces. But then when you actually fight them, they are the characters of different art styles like they don't actually look like the pawn or the rook or the knight or whatever it is this for me was always one of the hardest in the game i gave myself another epic challenge here because as i had mentioned my plan was i was going to defeat every enemy in every battle so that meant that i had to go head to head against all of these guys oh man this battle like they are so aggressive. Like, characters just aggro you immediately. They're super aggressive. They go their full movement. They come at you. The big problem here is the king. Because my attempt here was that I wanted to try to pull as many enemies away from him and deal with them as possible. You don't want the king to get onto you before you're ready to defeat him, because then... If you're trying to kill all the other enemies, you can't kill the king. And this king is really strong. He moves quicker than you would expect. Like, his turn comes around faster. He gets a lot of double attacks. He has a magic attack that's really powerful. And I was able to take out, like, a good number of the enemies. But there was still probably about a third of the enemies left whenever the king finally aggroed onto my party. So I was just enduring hits. Like, I had to let him hit my party until I could actually defeat all the other enemies. I had no choice, because otherwise the whole army would be defeated if I killed the king. So he's just wailing on me. He is just, just wrecking my characters, So when I got to the end of the battle and I had defeated every single piece except for the king, the only characters that were still standing were myself, Peter, Kazin, and Sarah. That was it. And that was by far more casualties than I had taken in any fight up to this point. To be clear, I could have easily defeated the king a long time ago, but I was trying to take them all down. This is the first time that I've ever done it. I don't know if I could do it again. I had to use the power ring, the protect ring, heals left and right, items everywhere. And I had to really baby my character so that he didn't get defeated. I had to heal him every time he got hit or else the the whole thing could have fallen apart. So it was probably my crowning achievement so far in the playthrough. So this is one spoiler that uh, Matt put on the Discord, and I got to admit, again, speechless. In terms of this versus the Kraken battle, I'm not sure which one I'm more impressed with. Probably this one. 
this is probably the most I've wanted to punch Matt through the screen right now because he's like, oh my gosh, only four people survived. <laughs> I had me and Gerholt survive this battle <laughs> to give some context here. Yeah. And I did not do what Matt did. I just tried surviving to give some context here. So this is a an incredibly hard battle. The pawns here are basically knights, you know, so high armor, high damage. Bishops are clerics with blast. The queen's like a frost mage type character. And the rooks here are powerful archers. And that's not even counting the king. It's brutal. And it's like a chessboard, so it's spread out wide. And so the king's in the middle. I'm not sure how you can draw aggro without spreading out your units. And I have no idea how you accomplish that with the king aggro, like you said. Like, if you go too far in the middle, the king's just going to come out. And you'd have to kill him, which is, like, for most normal people... (laughs) a good strategy. Like, oh, the king got brought out. We got to kill him. (laughs) But for you, you're like, oh, that's worst case scenario. So I I have no idea how you brought out the left because I was on the right side. I don't know how you brought the left side of the board without drawing aggro on the king. I didn't. I I went, I went to the left side of the board and I put all of my guys on that side and I took out the majority of the enemies that were on that side. But by that point, the king got pulled onto me. He was aggroed. And so, like I said, I was just enduring his hits. I, he was just hitting people. I had to be really careful not to put units next to each other so he wouldn't be able to, like, do multiple, like, hits at once with his spells. And, yeah, I just had to deal with it. I just had to keep healing. It was it was really not not fun, uh, but it, but it was worth it, man. It was it was quite an achievement. I, for example, a knight in this battle, and again, these are the pawns, right? It hits Sarah for thirty-one damage out of thirty-five damage. So you have no room for air here. You would have to use a healing drop immediately or heal level three immediately. Agreed. Yes, immediately. Everyone was loaded up with healing drops, like going into this, because again. I knew what was coming. But if you didn't, you couldn't get any healing items because you would be stuck there. This is actually a place in the game where theoretically you can just hit an end game. Because what would happen is if you keep dying and resurrecting, you could run out of money. And there's no way to get more money because you can't sell anything. There are no merchants. So you could get to a point where, you know, your character and Peter automatically res. But everyone else you have to pay for. So you could wear yourself down to the point of no return here. Well, where do you egress to? Is it the last place Nowhere, you Nowhere, just to the priest on the desktop kingdom. On the desktop. You can't get out of there. You're stuck. Yeah. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. So now that the chess battle is vanquished, the king congratulates you, and he rewards you with a chest uh, that you can go to you have to go to this sort of paintbrush that's like on the edge of the desk and you get this uh, thing called a cotton ball and you have to use it at the edge of the desk and what it allows is for you to basically like parachute off of the desk once you're on the floor there are a couple of other things you'll see first of all there's this random person who's trying to lift up a ring off of the floor but he's not able to do it because he's also very small and the ring is huge. Keep the ring in mind, because that'll be useful a bit later. There's also a person named Randolph down there, 
He's like a little guy. He kind of looks like a dwarf. He says, you want to see Creed? Are you serious? A hole in the wall leads to Creed, but don't use it. So there are on the floor, uh, basically in cracks in the wall, there are these little areas you can enter into. One of them has a priest in it. There's nothing else in there other than the caravan as well. No shops still. You can then enter into another crack in the wall where you can sort of travel through a little bit of a tunnel. And we get Oddler saying, it smells like a ditch. And Peter starts to question, is this the smell of the devils that they were talking about? Well, it turns out that it kind of was. They're not exactly devils, maybe, but they're actually rats. And the rats seem to think that it's dinner time. So we're stuck in this sort of, like, very tunnel, like, rat den for this battle. It's kind of tight. And there are five rats, six bubbling oozes. Okay, these things are just like the other oozes that we've seen. They're just stronger. But there is a leader, a clear leader to the rats. His name is Willard. And he is a different color than the other rats. So he's a pink rat. And he definitely is the guy that if you wanted to kill the one leader, this would be it. So going into this one, it was another situation where, you know, compared to the last battle, this wasn't really anything for me, you know, compared to that chess battle. The oozes aren't really that strong. I mean, they have decent attack, but uh, I think they're good targets to use blaze on. I did a lot of blaze level threes on the oozes. My most notable person in this battle probably again is Sarah. She's up to level six. I just keep building with her now because you, you're, you're casting these big heals with heal level three, get lots of experience, or just single level ones. You always get guaranteed like 10 experience. So she just keeps building up here. Jaha was the one who actually defeated Willard. And my character also hit level six. I kind of like this battle. I think the rats are relatively easy targets, and it's easy to move, so pretty much anybody can get hits in. Yeah, it's a great battle. I like it because it's unique. You know, it's kind of like the chess battle going into this. It stands out. It's not built upon anything else, and Willard's pretty strong. I mean, you know, he hit Geralt for 26 out of 33 health here. Very strong. I got to say, this is, you know, this is Luke's last hurrah here. Willard hit him for quite a bit of damage. So um, Luke's got 35 HP. How much do you think Willard hit him for in this battle? I'm going to guess 34 HP. See, you would have liked that because <laughs> 80 damage. What? Hit him for 80 <laughs> damage in one attack. How is that possible? What, what was A double attack and a critical. <laughs> So he is excess 45 damage on my Luke. So like, again, I've not been leveling him. Maybe that's part of my fault, but like, what a hit here from Willard. (laughs) Wow. I mean, epic. Luke Luke is pretty terrible here. You know, Peter kind of shined. He ended up one-shotting a rat here. Again, I was with my son. Slade used Catan for the first time. So we got to expose that. It's basically Blaze level three. So you get the cross type five person hit. Pretty good damage, but again, low magic points means you can't use it too often. 
But just a really cool, unique fight. I will say throughout this battle, they do have, not the bubbling uses, but they have these like pools of some kind of ooze. What did you think those things were on the ground? You, you can't occupy the space because it's occupied by this blue coloring. What did you think those things were? I said, man, I, I never figured out what those were. I They look like just like um, almost like leftover oozes. Like, they, like they're just there. I don't know if they're dead oozes or just like just junk. But it's, I don't know. Do you, did you have any thoughts? I mean, I... I don't know. When I first played it, I thought it was like like feces. Like I thought it was it was like fecal matter from the rats. Well, that would make sense, like, but it's like blue. Um, but I mean, it, it seems it would more like sense. water in retrospect. Yeah. It seems like maybe puddles of water, but you'd be able to walk on that. So yeah, I wasn't sure. It could be ooze, like coming from the ceiling or something. So I don't know if you had it you know, any direction on, on what those were. No, <laughs> but yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. Kind of like it was coming down. Yeah. Weird. I don't know. So after the Willard battle, uh, we finally make it back out of this sort of a uh, rat den. Now it cuts to Creed and Creed is basically a, well, he is a devil. He is a greater devil. He's a very powerful one, but we do find out that he is uh, retired at this point, which is kind of funny to think of a devil retiring, but yeah, why not? Creed is yelling for Goliath, for his servant to come in, and pretty soon Creed realizes that something's going on with his collection. He says they've been very noisy today. Before a Goliath uh, can go and take care of this problem, I mean, he actually does go to try to deal with whatever the problem is, but before Goliath comes back, Peter starts talking to Creed. Now, Peter is still very small, like we all are at this point, and he gets Creed to return us to our original size. When Goliath comes back, Creed tells him basically to get out of there because now we're having an important discussion. And we start talking about somebody named Zion, who, of course, uh, we have heard a little bit of talk about before he is this king of the devils who is back in a place called Ark Valley which is where Grand Seal is located Creed tells us that if Zeon reappears which he has and he regains his power that he will basically destroy everything lucky for us Creed has some more inside information he tells us that Grand's Island is covered by a dark cloud, and that North Parmesia has had no rain. South Parmesia is okay, and we realize that that's because Vulcanon, the purported god, is protecting it. But the goddess, Mitula, who lives in North Parmesia, doesn't seem to be able to protect it. That's why there is a drought happening there. Creed further tells us that he can get more information if he talks to this spirit that he has access to. So we go down underneath of his room, and there's this huge staircase. It's gigantic that you walk down. You reach the end of this large area where there are like these big sort of like pillars, and there's this almost like giant round sort of like cup thing but it's huge that's in the center 
And Creed is able to summon this face that appears. It's the face of the evil spirit that he has access to. The fairy that we are with is also in there uh, and is talking to Creed and the spirit. And so this evil spirit starts talking about how there is a barrier around Grand's Island and that he can't really see much of anything there. Creed asks him to try again, and the evil spirit says that if I touch something of Zeon's, maybe I could contact his mind better. So you walk forward with the Jewel of Evil. You're not able to remove it because of the mithril that is sort of keeping it connected to you at this point, mithril chain. But just looking at it gives the evil spirit some degree of access to Zeon, and he's able to start telling us some information. He says that Ark Valley was opened and Zeon was revived, and that the devils are coming to Parmesia from the sky. Creed asks where are they heading, and the spirit says North Parmesia. This further gives credence to the story that Metola is in trouble. The goddess is in trouble. Now, the evil spirit is trying to tell us a little bit more about Zeon, but pretty soon he starts sort of glitching out. Like, the evil spirit's face starts coming in and out, and Zeon suddenly appears, his face, in the place where the evil spirit was. He says that he can see the jewel of evil, and he tells you to bring the jewel with you to Ark Valley. And if you do, he promises to exchange Ellis in return for the jewel. Then, Zeon blows up Evil Spirit. Like, he destroys him, rips him apart. Evil Spirit explodes. And Creed tells us that Evil Spirit exploded. And that if Zeon revives fully, his power will be unimaginably strong. There's a lot of big plot lines here. We know that Ellis is still alive, apparently. And we know that Zeon is already getting stronger. He's able to destroy Creed's spirit with no problem whatsoever. And just to sort of quickly tie up Creed's mansion here, once we get back out from this weird, creepy dungeon area underneath of Creed's uh, room, we go back up into the house, and Creed decides that we should go see storytellers that are in North Parmesia. So that is our next goal, is to go to see these storytellers. Fairy agrees to go with us to help out the sick dwarf in the cave that we mentioned before. And before we leave, we get a choice of four different characters. Karna, who is a priest. Eric, who is a centaur. Randolph, who is a type of Jaha-type character, a warrior. And the last option is Tyron, a wizard. Or he could be a sorcerer, depending on how you upgrade him. But you can only pick one of them. So this is a tough decision here. First off, though, I mean, who did you pick? I've got to know. Yeah, it's a big pivotal point. I went with Tyrant. I really went with mages here. I love Freeze. I know he gets it. Freeze basically gets higher range than Blaze even for a little bit more in magic points. So that's why I went with that. I refuse the Paladin because it's like, I have Chester, I have Rick, I know I'll get Higgins. I hate the class. They're meat shields, basically, without a lot of damage. Randolph, the Gladiator, I honestly like the class. 
and he's a serviceable tank, much better than, you know, the Paladin class. So to me, that was kind of where I was stuck. Karna, I avoided just because she's OP. Um, I kind of regret not picking her because I keep finding I want a second actual healer. Yeah, but Tyron, he's very strong. He's as strong, if not stronger than Kazin right off the bat. And you do have the option. He starts level 24, so you get the option of making him a sorcerer, making him a wizard. I kept him as wizard because I love freeze. And, and so that was my plan. What did you go with? Yeah, typically I would have made the same pick. Uh, that's probably my most standard pick that I make. You know, the centaur, I'm just not feeling it. Same exact reason as you. There's so many that you can get, and it's just not really, it's just, there's nothing there. Karna, same thing. I had to avoid her because, you know, just it would be too easy to exploit. So in the end, you know, I have never picked Randolph. And I thought, you know what, let's give it a shot. And I'm really glad that I picked him, man. Like, Randolph, he's clutch. He's he's strong. I think I like him better than Jaha, to be honest with you. Uh, now, since I had already upgraded promoted Jaha with the Warrior Pride and made him a Baron. That means that Randolph, uh, I'd have to make a Gladiator because I don't have a choice. I can't use Warrior Pride a second time. And yeah, he's strong. He's a great tank. Just one other thing, too. If you look around the house, you can find the running ring after this. You can pick it up, and it's really good because the running ring is going to give you extra movement really big item to find because, you know, movement is invaluable. And before we leave, I do have to say that Odler decides to stay behind. He decides to stay with Creed, and Creed says you will learn the reasons soon enough, and hey, don't think about it right now. He basically just tells you, don't worry about it. I'm just going to keep him here. No problem. So what do you think? Is this a little suspicious? <laughs> a wee bit, a wee bit. Uh, it definitely seems like he's he's got some something else going on here. Because again, this is the same character the Devils wanted. As you mentioned, Creed was a Devil previously, retired. He's got to have some potential for something. Why else do the Devils want him so much, right? I will say with regard to the Paladin class, the problem with them is like Tyrin gets freeze. Kazin doesn't. So it's like they're both wizards, but they're different. And you could technically make Tyron a summoner where he's bringing in the different gods that we'll talk about later on. Differentiation here. Gladiator is different than obviously the Baron class. I'm not entirely sure, uh, given the level up, because I don't have a gladiator. I only have Jaha, but at least that's different. Paladin class, it's like they're all the same. And so to me, it feels weird. And like even Karna as a healer with boost... Again, that's what you can glitch and BOP about because it gives basically 49 experience points every battle, no matter what the battle is. You can redo battles over and over and over and over again, right? There's a battle outside of Hollow's House, which you can do over and over again. So that's the glitch there. But at least she has boost, which is different. These Paladins, they're the exact same class. I mean, every single one. And so there's no differentiation there. The only thing you could do would be to promote one as like a Pegasus, but... Those things are terrible, in my opinion, and you get one later anyway. Yeah, and at this point, you have the wizard upgrade. You have the cleric upgrade. You don't have whatever that upgrade is for the paladin yet, right? Mm -mm. So overall, I mean, yeah, I think this is 
I think we both made some good choices. I'm curious to see how you how you play him going <laughs> forward. Yeah, it's I've got tons to say about that. Maybe some regrets as well. I got oh, I got to say that. Okay. Not going there yet. With regard to the running ring, that was really hard for me to find. I mean, I I knew the ring was there because I saw it big, but it took me forever to try to find out where it would be because I kept checking the desks and stuff. And then I realized I like I thought about the scene where I saw the big ring mm-hmm. and it was pretty nondescript, but I was like, ah, it looks like a floor. So once I checked like random floor tiles, that's when I found it. But I was, I mean, I checked so I checked everywhere until I actually thought, hmm, what was I seeing in that scene? It was a ring on the floor. And so it was underneath the desk. And once I did that, it's like boom. So a little bit of logic there trying to connect the small world to the big world to find that running ring, but you got to piece that together. Otherwise you would never find it. Cause it's just on like a random tile on the floor. From this point, we have to go back to the cave with the dwarves in it. Fairy is going to help us heal the dwarf who was sick. And they give you a cannon as a present, interesting present to receive. They say that it can destroy large rocks. So we'll be using that shortly. After that, we actually are supposed to, and they, I don't believe the game really gives you any direction here either, but you're supposed to go back to New Grand Seal, back to your new town that they had built after your, uh, you know, the shipwreck happened. So you go back to the town, and everyone has new dialogue at this point because some time has passed. You can talk to the guards, the different townsfolk, they'll tell you some different things. The guards remark that you look strong. There is also a new house that has been built that wasn't finished when you left. And somebody tells us, just a random villager, that they saw something big fall in the north and that he has been watching the sky. This is where I promoted Randolph to the gladiator. Now, he was already level 24. The thing is, with these people that you get at Creed's, they won't be promoted when you get them. So, you know, he's four levels over. So he would have been like a level four promoted at this point. But so I promoted him now. So he's level one promoted despite actually having higher stats because of being having those four levels. There are a ton of weapons that you need to pick up when you get into this town again. They have the buster swords, the large axes, got a power glove, heavy lances, and assault shells that you could use for your ranged attackers. One thing that I find interesting here is that, you know, you do have a mom in this game. Like, you have a mother, and she has no personality. There's, like, no character art for her. She's not relevant to the story at all. But you can go back and talk to her, and she says, You've brought so many friends this time. You're loved by everyone, my son. So that's pretty sweet there, at least. If you go back into the castle... So you're met by Sir Astral inside the castle and the minister, and whenever you tell everybody about what happened, it sort of, like, summarizes very quickly. You tell everyone that Princess Ellis is still alive... The king immediately is like, we need to go get her back. We need to save her. The king has been in a depression ever since this whole thing with Ellis went down. And so Astral is able to convince the king that he needs to accompany you to go to 
Tristan, the town in North Parmesia where the storytellers are located. So now Astral finally joins you as an advisor. He's never playable, but I'm really glad that he comes along with you. He's a great character, and I mean, I'm just glad to have him there. He's the, he's, he's the wise old Gandalf, you know, following you around here, giving you advice, casting spells every now and then. Now, he tells us that we need to use the cannon to clear the rocks that are blocking the passage to the north. You're able to talk to this random, like, dwarf-like character who is outside of one of the shops, and he gives you the explosives that you need, the dynamite, to use in the cannon. Before you can leave the town, you are intercepted by an elf woman named Janet. And Janet says that her love, Elric, is with you, and that she needs to come with you, too. So she ends up joining the force. I like using Janet. Um, She's not super strong, but I, I like the ranged characters. So she can be a sniper upgrade. Uh, You can promote her. She's already, in my case, was level 24. So I promoted her right away. And then I headed up to clear out those rocks. This is actually a battle we've been in before, way back when we first arrived on the continent from the shipwreck. So yeah, I actually went to that place with just the cannon and nothing happens. And so they're like, okay, you got to use the cannon to do X, Y, or Z and you can't do anything. And so it's like, you got to talk to this random guy, this like random dwarf who's like, you know, I got this dynamite. I don't know what to do with it. And then Sir Astral ends up giving you permission to do that. It's funny if you talk to him before you have Sir Astral with you, he won't give it to you. He's like, you need permission to use this dynamite. So you've got to get Sir Astral before you can get the dynamite. Yeah, with regard to these uh, these items you get, I mean, Sarah here, for me at least, had 59 attack with these upgrades. Chester, 50. She's the cleric here. And yet, I mean, her knuckles are like <laughs> completely outpacing him here. So that stood out to me with how absolutely strong she was. And I. You know, my Sarah's underleveled compared to yours, so I can only imagine, you know, how hard your Sarah was hitting. Yeah, I I didn't write down her stats, but yeah, she was very strong. And of course, you know, that comes with the Master Monk uh, upgrade, so I'm glad we both did that, you know, because it's, uh, it really does show up people like Chester, it's it's rough. And when Janet joined the Force, you know, I had to make a decision here, and I kind of forgot to mention Whenever I picked Randolph to join, right, I had to kick somebody off. So I got rid of Luke for that. And I imagine you also got rid of Luke, right? I shed a tear at the loss of him. Oh, I'm sure you, yeah. you. Yeah, I'm sure he survived past that rat battle where he took, you know, 100% more damage than he <laughs> of HP. Yeah. So devastating, man. Oh. But yeah, so then when Janet came on, I had to pick somebody to take off because I wanted to use her. It was a tough choice. I ended up removing Geralt. Did you put put her on? I did, but I got rid of Elric because I already had Mm. May. Getting rid of Geralt, man, that bothers me. It really bothers me. He's gone. Oddly enough, though, I I do have notes here that Sarah, because I mentioned Luke's failure, Sarah actually has two more attack than Geralt. So there you and go. Geralt's got actual werewolf claws. So it's like, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I, I committed to Geralt, especially with the storyline. And 
Elric's just so bad. I Elric just, is I bad. Know, yeah, I, I, I don't I worry. I, I don't keep him much longer. Let me say that. But without, I mean, you already have, you have Randolph, so you had more front line. Mm-hmm. I need Geralt to be my front line because I, I, I'm really lacking in that. That becomes a bigger issue later on. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on the King's actions here? Because to me, it's like, He's willing to risk it all just to save Alice to me. Oh, I mean, totally. he's like a mad king. Yes. <laughs> he's like a Targaryen at this point. He he really has lost his mind. I mean, he's he's not like openly like maniacal or anything, but essentially he's clearly not ruling because he's depressed. The minister and Astral seem to be doing everything. And the minute that you mention Ellis, he's willing to do anything. Which, I mean, you can't blame him. I mean, it's his daughter, but as a king, he's not doing his job, and he's probably willing to throw away anybody or anything at this point in order to get Ellis back. So he's willing to just throw you into danger, send you off to the the Ark Valley with the greatest demon in the world. He's like, go get her. Get her back, you know? So, I mean, yeah, the king here is off the rails. He sends us out and says, defeat Zeon. <laughs> and he just he just lost his kingdom, started new Grand Seal. He's sending his strongest advisor, or mage, if you will, protector, Sir Astral with us. And he's like, yep, yeah, go defeat Zeon. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> he's completely, like, lost his mind yes. saying, hey, go do this. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you're on the same page here. And it is crazy that it's like our teacher following us. Like, he's following us into battle. But we have some respect here. And actually, when you're going into the kingdom, going into the castle, there's a guard that stops us and basically says to us to, hey, you know, show me your pass. And then the next line he says is, you don't need one. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for the respect (laughs) as we're doing all this stuff, defeating all these demons. Finally, a guard's like, we know who you are. You've earned the respect. VIP. So, yeah, I appreciate I appreciated that because it's like we're carrying so hard right now i mean we're doing so much work <laughs> i'm glad we're getting some respect i will also mention that you said the mom and in addition to the mom there's this like random girl in town oh who man says, like, not her your, your dad said like my dad says you would be a good spouse so nice to know and that's when you're like a peon right mm-hmm. and you're like oh yeah you know I, but she's still here right she's still here and she <laughs> says when you talk to her she says you're back darling Oh, you're leaving again? She's like our de facto wife here. She's like this <laughs> random girl in town who just pretends that we're married to her. Yeah, like I mean, she. I like to imagine that she set up this whole delusional, like non-existent relationship in her head. Like she's essentially a stalker, is is what this girl is. She's decided that we are apparently married, and or at least an item. Big spoilers here our main character might have another interest and it's not this random woman that's in the town. Yeah. I kind of think of her as like a fan, you know, like she's a fan of the show. And I mean, we know what happens uh, with her character. She's making a good investment, trying to attach herself to us. Um, (laughs) This cool, a new grand seal, you know, everyone gets some upgraded weapons here. I did want to point out a couple points. First of all, Jaha here, he got a battle axe. Battle axes are awesome. I wanted him to have an axe, but it's kind of annoying because it's like, 
it does less damage than swords. So you're almost like you're literally incentivized just to have swords. I'm not sure if axes do anything positive, but I said, forget it. Uh, it's like a one or two damage difference. So I didn't really care, but I went with axes for Jaha here. The only other thing in New Gransel here is this this character who basically had this dynamite, who, who wanted to give us dynamite, presumably to blow up this rock in the cave, but he was against it. But now that he has permission, you know, we're able to get it. And on the way out as well, there's a guard here who basically says, hey, how you been? And that we look strong. So it's like, thanks, broski. Like he, he's got our support here on the out on the outside here. So we've got this dynamite. We're going out to blow something up here. And it's an exciting time here as we've embarked on our journey outside of New Grand Seal. All right. So after we head out of town, we are now on our way to the battle at the cave. So earlier in the game, when we first arrived on the continent, when the ship wrecked, we ended up having to go to the cliffs by this cave to save a friend of one of the townspeople. And so we find ourselves back there again, because that's where the block tunnel is. But before we can get in and use the dynamite to blow up the rocks that are blocking the tunnel, we have to fight another battle on this exact same battle map. Which for me, not the best news because this is a kind of a frustrating battle map. Uh, it's one where there's a good bit of hills and it's hard to move characters through. So not one of my favorite maps, but it is one that you encounter yet again here. Looking at the battle at the cave, I have down that there were five lesser demons. These are these sort of red, like gargoyle looking guys. They're melee attackers. They have more mobility. We have the three dark snipers, which of course are archers. We had six skeletons and two dark bishops. So we're going to get some enemy healing potential in here. In my run through of this, Kazin was able to level up to level five of the promoted level. Because remember, we are in the promoted levels at this point. And he got muddle level two. Uh, this is a spell that I never cast, ever, because it is useless. It's one of these spells that it's random chance if it works or not. It's inconsistent. If it does work, it confuses the enemy for a time, which even then may or may not have a benefit, because sometimes the confused enemies still attack you. In some cases, they will attack their own guys, or in other cases, they will just stand there and do nothing for their turn. But you just never know. It's it's very unpredictable, both on if it will hit and actually stick to an enemy, and then what will happen after that. Kazin also distinguished himself with a physical kill. He hit a skeleton and killed him with his staff, which I always enjoy doing. It's like a, like a flex, if you will, uh, whenever I can pull that off. One uh, unfortunate encounter, which probably highlights that I should have taken Elric off of the force rather than Geralt, is that Elric was rushed by one of these lesser demons. You know, they have this sort of flyer-type range of mobility. So he just came down from nowhere and just right up in Elric's face and exhausted him. Pretty clearly did not want to stick with Elric for too long after this. My main character is getting up to level 7 here. Janet has a couple kills. She gets up to level 2. She's really level 6 because she was already at level 24 when she was promoted, though, rather than being at 20. 
that's always a little bit strange when you promote somebody when they're past 20, because they do have the benefits of those level ups. It's just that they are promoted. They're only level two versus being level six. Slade also uh, got exhausted in this fight. There was a skeleton that came down and took him out. By the time the fight was over, the majority of my force was somewhere around level five or six. Uh, Sarah was up at level seven, my main character at level seven. And Randolph was also tearing through. He had a couple of kills and he was up to about level three by this point, which isn't bad because, again, he was promoted just recently at Creed's, after Creed's. So this was his first battle. He's already up to level three promoted. He was really tearing through. He got a couple of levels just in this one battle. This battle, to me, was kind of a repeat battle, so it was nothing, like, terribly special. I will say the Dark Bishops here clearly articulated this idea that if anyone's losing health, they'll heal them. And so it really spawned the idea of farming these bishops, these healers in every battle, because regardless, like he could have hit people with a huge blast in this one, hit like a bunch of my members and he's still healed. So it's like, once you deal a certain amount of damage to him, he's going to heal himself and his party predominantly. So that's like kind of an AI hint, if you will. Janet here, Again, it's just like, this is why I don't like the Archer class. Like, her first level up gets no attack. And so that was pretty frustrating to me that she's not getting any attack, especially when Gerhold gets two to three. Peter gets two to three. She gets nothing. I do want to correct myself previously. I had actually gotten rid of Rick here. So Rick was gone, not Elric. It was Rick that was gone. So I do want to clarify that um, because they already had Chester. It was funny, the Lesser Demons, again, like the Red Gargoyles, basically try to 1v1 Peter because they're both flying units with huge mobility. It was kind of funny. He used Blaze level 3 on Peter for 7 damage because <laughs> he's, he's a phoenix. He's, like, a he's phoenix. literally yeah, made, he has... he's made a fire. Like, this isn't going to work out. So it's kind of funny. Like, should have just attacked. And then Peter, I mean, again, the most OP character to me. He's so strong here. He gets a 3 HP, 2 attack, 3 defense, 1 agility level up. And, and those level ups, they're consistent. So it's just very good. feels very good to level up Peter, especially with his mobility. Uh, Peter just two-shot him. No problem here. The only death I had here was Geralt, oddly enough, but it was only so, it was solely by overextension. You know, he's able to be, he's one of those characters that's, again, he's a glass cannon to an extent. He can be two-shot. So unfortunately, that's what happened here with exact damage. 16 HP got exact damage. So it was, it was unfortunate death for Geralt, but he was the only death here. So it wasn't, wasn't too bad of a battle for me. Those exact damage kills are, uh, they're terrible. Like, cause it's like, man, you could have just hung on just one more HP taking out Rick. Uh, I still had him in at this point. So that's interesting. All right. So once we take care of this battle, we are able to, and I will point out after this, I did go back to grand seal to revive the people who got exhausted. And then I actually got hit with a repeat battle on the way back to the cave. And this is one of the few that I think I, this might be one of only two, I think, that I had happen in the whole playthrough. Not much happened there. We had a couple level ups, but nothing too exciting. So once we get back up to the cave, Road is able to use the cannon to clear the cave. He clears the rocks. And now Rode joins the force. He actually 
uses the cannon. He goes around looking at the cannon. He's like, man, this is great. And then he decides to join the force. I will say with Rode, I had upgraded Janet to the Brass Gunner as well. Rode's objectively better in my opinion. I mean, he starts off uh, with two more levels than Janet. Again, same class, same everything, but with three more attack. And so it's like knowing Janet gets levels without any attack to have the three attack additional. I think Rhodes just objectively better, but Rhodes kind of a, a jerk and Janet's a lot nicer. So that's why I stuck with Janet as opposed to Rode here. Yeah. If you're role-playing it, there's no doubt you'd rather have on the force. I actually did put Road on the Force, and I took Elric off at this point uh, because I was like, well, I can't have three archers. So I put him in, and yeah, he is much better. Uh, so that was that, it was interesting seeing him in the cave because this is this next battle is a real tight sort of it's a repeat of the goblin. It's not in the same place, but it's a repeat of the type of battle with the hobgoblin from before where you can't really see very well. You have limited visibility. We have four skeletons, four snipers, three dark soldiers, uh, who are kind of like these dwarf-like melee-type characters. We have a couple lesser demons, and we have a couple of bishops here as well. One thing that I noted about the terrain is that the way that the entrance to the cave is designed you kind of end up with a bottleneck there where you can only fit so many people through. So you have to sort of fight your way out of that and then get into the larger cave. I used a lot of Kazin in here. He was dropping blaze level threes on the skeletons because they are weak to that sort of fire damage. There are some chests around uh, that you can find in the cave and you can always go back to them later on and, and loot them if you want. Uh, in one of the chests, you find something called a fairy tier, which actually allows you to restore magic points, which is something that you normally can't do. There are no items at the regular merchant that let you replace magic points, only health points. So the fairy tiers can be really helpful Uh, I believe they restore 30 MP whenever you use one of them, 30 magic points. So that was, you know, a nice find. Most of the force getting up another level or so, uh, you know, the ones that stood out, I mean, my main character was up to level nine. He was hitting, he was hitting some really nice crits in this battle. Sarah also heading up toward level nine. Uh, A lot of the characters around seven or eight, and then I had some lagging. But once you're able to finish off the last enemies, we will finally be able to get into North Parmesia. But first, I have to know what happened with you. This was a hard battle for archers in terms of that field of vision, especially. And yeah, it's just, you know, this battle, it may have affected me in the long term because May and Janet both leveled up without getting an attack. And it's it just it, it just bothers me because that's your job. I mean your job is literally to deal damage and you're not getting attack and you have range, but again the range is not far exceeding certain spellcasters. So it kind of left a sour taste on my mouth. I was just really upset that I'm feeding these kills to these archers and they're not coming through here. Geralt here, I will counterpoint got a two HP three attack two defense one agility level so that to me is like you know I like that a lot more than getting the zero attack but presumably archers get items you know they get the actual 
weapons to increase their attack. But there are certain characters, yourself included, that gets attack and has the weapon. So these archers, for them not to get attack, is kind of weird. Because even the mages and clerics get attack. So I, I guess it's the way of balancing the uh, the power of archers. I'm not really too sure. But that was really the highlight for me. Um, no casualties either myself. But those archers really just stood out to me as like, why am I feeding them? Why am I giving them levels if they're just going to be strong based on the items they get? So once we get out of the cave, uh, we end up at the village of Keto. Uh, this is a strange town because there are signs up everywhere. And the signs say things like, Church is closed. Mitola ignores you. No weapon or item sales. And it says, Devils at the bottom. So this is from the Devils, who apparently are running amok over this town. There are a number of other signs around that you can see. They say things like, Don't work. Pakalon will never come to save you. No praying today. Don't go out or you'll be punished. There's a lot of good stuff here. There are things that you can search for in this town. There's a healing water and a barrel in one of the shops, which will give you a full heal to whoever uses it. There is bright honey in a barrel in one of the houses, which you can use to raise magic points for a character. And when you go into some of these buildings, there are people that are trying to kind of skirt around the rules that the devils have put out. So you find the priest outside next to his church, and he will still do the stuff he can do for you. You go over to go to the merchant, and he's like off on some random little part of town. You have to go over a little bridge to go find him, and he's sort of doing like illegal weapon sales and things out there, uh, which is kind of fun. He rushes back to the shop to sell to you when you talk to him. And his wife is there acting as the second merchant, which is kind of funny because normally there are two of these merchant guys and there's one that sells weapons and one that sells items. But here it's like the merchant and his wife are behind the counter selling the items. Not a whole lot of items in the in the terms of in the shop. You know, I bought a javelin and I bought an Indra staff here as well. But aside from that, there's not much you can actually do in the town at the time other than find that stuff. Once you leave, then you can enter into a battle. Yeah, it's like a Puritan village, but controlled by devils. You know, they're like, no, no praying, like you had mentioned. Don't sell weapons or have a church. And it's kind of like they're hiding from the devils. It's like the devils control this town. You know, they don't want you to do anything church-related. But the priest still exists. I mean, he's still doing what he's got to do. So it's kind of like you know, they've been overcome by devils, but they're still trying to function in spite of this occupation, if you will. And I mean, the only thing I would add to it is this is the first time I had actually used the merchant to buy the deals. Like there's a deal section you can buy. So I got a shining ball. I'm not sure what that is at the time. And then a protect ring, which actually is like the ring you use to give defense to characters. So I gave that to Peter. I'm not sure, you know, where that came from. I think if you maybe pass it up during the game or if a an enemy dies without you being able to possess it. It goes to this deal section, or maybe you just buy the protector ring from the deal section. I'm not sure, but it's a pretty important item that I was just able to buy here. That, that, so that's exactly sure. Yeah, that's what that's what it is. It's uh, because this happened to me before. If you recall, when I uh, had to buy the power ring, because what happens is if you kill an enemy and the guy who the character who kills him 
doesn't have any empty slots in their inventory, then it goes to the merchant and you have to pay for it. And it can be very expensive. Like the power ring cost me three grand. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's better to try to, you know, to get it in the battle if you can. Yeah. And the only other thing I had noticed was that there's a mention of a Matula who is sick. And so we have no idea who she is or why she's sick, but that will play an important part later on. But we first hear of this Matula character. For now, we run into a new character uh, whose name is Higgins. He is a centaur, and he is out with a couple of his soldiers, and he's being accosted by some devils. One of the devils is a strange-looking sort of guy. He's green, kind of goblin-looking guy. He wears a robe and a hat, but he's not just a goblin. He is a greater devil. We're going to be hearing more from him. His name is Jessup. His devils that are with him trick and kill uh, Higgins' two soldiers that are with him. And basically, he is just taunting Higgins, talking about how the paladins of Pakalon are cowards and, and how they're weak and everything. And the soldiers, before they are killed, let slip that Higgins is sick. They say that if Higgins wasn't sick, he'd be able to fight you off. And so the uh, devils here try to possess Higgins. We actually see one of these gizmos from earlier in the game come down and inhabit Higgins's body. And Higgins sort of falls over to the ground as he's struggling with this gizmo that's trying to possess him. Uh, while this is all happening, Astral yells out to stop. And when they see that the Shining Force has arrived and that we are from Grand Seal... All of a sudden, when Jessup hears that we're from Grand Seal, he decides to get the heck out of there, and he teleports away, leaving an army of demons behind to try to stop us. So he is clearly a little bit unnerved that the Shining Force has arrived. I guess our reputation is starting to precede us a little bit. This brings us into a battle where we are fighting. Higgins is actually on the ground this whole time. We're sort of fighting around him. There are... Four snipers, four dark soldiers, two bishops, three lesser demons, a lizard man, and a wizard. It's a very open battle. It's outside, a very large battle map. There's sort of like a seashore sort of portion of it up to the north and some hills and things. It's a long battle to just sort of cover the distance of the map. One thing that I noticed right away is that Randolph was just on a tear, and I am really glad that I have him on my force. He's getting up to level 6 very early in the battle. I have Kazin actually casting D-Soul and D-Souling a bishop. So I was just not having it with these demons, I was with these devils. I was ready to just take them to school and... Let me tell you, I mean, the bell was rung because class was in session here. We were just destroyed. So, so they have, so the devils have souls. I mean, is this, is this like the, the dark bishop has a soul? I mean, Evidently, pretty weird, right? I mean, I guess he's like a dark soul of some, some evil soul. I don't know. Maybe the bodies they inhabit are like possessed or something by these gizmos. I don't know. It's, it's interesting, like the, you know, spiritual. Uh, existence of creatures in the shining world here so my usual characters you know kazin not only desouling but also running around hitting blaze level three on guys jaha also doing pretty well here you know he was up to level eight by this point 
So, you know, him and Randolph are getting a lot of action as, as melee, uh, my two melee tanks that I have here. Uh, Randolph gets up again to level seven by the end of the battle. So pretty impressive stuff. So I, I had a couple exhaustions myself, Jaha and Tyron. The lizard man, I mean, he hits hard. I mean, he's got, he's this lizard with this big axe. And so he's one of the new characters we met in this battle along with the, uh, the wizard. And so, yeah, he hit hard. The wizard hit hard too. Wizard has blaze level three. That's pretty strong. Kazin kind of, you know, he had, he had a three person blaze level three. It's my first one. Uh, felt really good. Um, usually AI does a good job. Again, these blaze level threes are basically a cross. And so they do a pretty good job separating them. So you don't get that type of scenario. So the fact that Kazin's able to not only extend himself without dying, <laughs> but also to get a blaze level three is pretty wild. That doesn't happen very often. It might not happen again, quite honestly. Um, it's, it's very rare for that to happen. Slade here gets Katan level two, which is again, blaze level three for him. So it's a pretty big upgrade. Chester here, he got a, a no level attack or, or no attack level, I should say, uh, level up without an attack. And that's the first one he's gotten. So I'm kind of worried about Chester here. You know, what's his purpose other than a meat shield? I'm not terribly certain. He did get a three HP level up, so he might just be a meat shield. As far as I'm concerned, here I had a little bit of danger. My character went down right away to 50% just based on early attacks. So I was a little bit nervous here. But again, learning not to overextend. It's just a constant learning experience here. Following the battle, Astral exercises the gizmo from Higgins and it sort of spins around and explodes. Higgins now says that he feels great and that he's ready to go fight the devils. So he decides to join up with the Shining Force. He's going to be a paladin, he's a centaur paladin, and he's going to take us with him to Pakalon, where he is from, and he is leading the forces of, actually. I did not put him on the force. I was not interested in more centaurs at this point. Yeah, so with regard to Higgins, what I do with these characters, once they become new to the party, I basically search their stats, and Higgins basically, like, I try to factor in what I think certain level ups will bring. Usually for a centaur, it's a two HP, one attack, two defense, one agility. Very basic levels up. Like Higgins was very bad. He just had higher levels. So it's like, he's technically better when you get him right away. It's the old experience, right? He, you know, he's the aged veteran, but by and large, yeah, his actual stats are not better based on his level compared to Rick Chester, etc. He's very, basic adds really nothing new. So once we move on from the battle, we end up in the town of Pakalon, and we see very clearly from the way that the land looks that there is a drought occurring in the town. You can talk to people in the town and they'll tell you about that as well. This is an unnatural occurrence. There is a reason. There are some things you can find. There's a medical herb in a vase, which, I mean, at this point in time, a 10 HP healing item is not that useful, but, you know, you can find it. I did decide to use some of my items that I had been saving, and I used a cheerful bread here on Bowie, uh, got two health for that, and I used the bright honey on Sarah and got her magic points also up by two. There's a square in the middle of the town. There's a fountain there that is empty because of the drought, but there are four centaur statues around it, which are pretty neat. 
there is a castle here as well that you can go into, and there are some guards you can speak to. One of them mentions that there is something called Nazca, which is west of the city of Maun. And they mention that they locked the gate of Maun to stop the progress of these devils who came in and were trying to breach the gates. This whole story about the city called Maun is going to be very important. Apparently there is a vicar named Freja who has a key that would be able to open the gate, but if they did, the devils would get out and flood into northern Parmesia. The only downside is that the people of the town have basically been left to die while these devils are sieging the town. You can eventually run into this vicar Freja in the castle, and if you talk to him, he says, I committed a sin. I abandoned the people of Mound to protect the Parmesia continent. He seems racked with guilt, and we're going to come back to him a bit later. The king, when you finally speak to him, just simply says that he has to ask a favor of you, and he wants you to save Mitola. He says that she is in Tristan, and we will be ruined by drought long before the devils destroy us. So now we've been charged by this king to go and save Mitola. She is a very important character, and we haven't been told a ton about her yet. One thing that I will mention at this point is that she is a goddess, and she lives in this town that is a bit off to the north called Tristan, which incidentally was the same place we were supposed to go to hear these storytellers. That was one of the things that we learned after Creed's, that we had these storytellers we were supposed to visit. So this town, for multiple reasons, is going to be our new objective that we were trying to reach. See, we got this big famine hitting this town, desert town. You had mentioned the statues. I thought there was great symbolism here because there's this concept. You had mentioned with Frasia that he regrets. So basically what happened was these devils were invading, right? They were attacking, and he closed the gate of a town and locked these townspeople in. And if you talk to a soldier outside of that castle before meeting Frasia, you learn that the devils were coming from this town mound. And so... Polkanon, this town we're in, locked him in, right? Locked these townspeople in. And apparently this is Frasia, right? He, he was the leader behind this, this concept of like cowardice, right? This cowardice of leaving this town to die to these devils so they don't escape the town and go to your place. And if you look, you got this fountain that used to breed all this beautiful life and water. It's dry, and it's surrounded by these statues, right, of these great soldiers. And so it's kind of like, to me, there's a lot of symbolism here. It's like the, the fountain itself is dry because currently these soldiers are, are weak and running away. And yet it's, it's so interesting seeing these great soldiers behind because it means Polkanon used to be a place, right, where they would defy the devils, right? They would fight against the devils. I mean, did you have any thought on that symbolism, what are your thoughts on Frasia locking the gate, Polkanon kind of retreating to their city, as opposed to fighting the devils in Maun? The symbolism is very strong, and I think I, I'm kind of of two minds here, because, yes, technically by locking the gates, they were saving the rest of the continent. But you have to wonder, I mean, how long is that going to last? Are the devils really going to be stopped by this gate forever? but also just the total massacre of the town that would happen. And that's clearly what Frasia is having guilt over. 
the fact that he is a vicar, he's a priest essentially, and that he did this, it adds another level of guilt, I think, to the whole idea, which is pretty interesting. He's wrestling with this idea that he is sacrificing one town to save many towns. And and under different ethical systems, you could actually justify that. But he knows, for his point of view, probably as, as a priest, as a vicar, that he's meant to protect these people that are in this town. So this is probably one of the strongest uh, moral dilemmas that we see in the game, is a lot of it is very clear, good versus evil. This is one where there's a little bit of a gray area in here. The soldiers... Yeah, they're a shadow of those great soldiers that are they've made statues of that are located in the center of the town. I will say the two soldiers that went with Higgins, they got wrecked by those devils pretty easy. So it makes me wonder if they even have the strength to resist, even if they want to. And that's sort of a theme throughout the game that really nobody except the Shining Force seems to be able to handle these guys. So so we're coming in here as the heroes, and we are going to have to fix this sad state of affairs as much as we can. Yeah, and it's weird that part of that fix is Mithula. Like, she's a goddess, right? And that's akin to, we had talked about Vulcanon, right? And for her to be sick and for us to have to save her seems like a very stark contrast between Vulcanon who had all this power and ability to help us, but he's abandoned ground people for whatever reason. So it seems kind of weird that we're trying to help a goddess. It's like, do you know who we are? Like we are students <laughs> under Sir Astro here. And now we're trying to save a goddess. And it's just so much burden is placed upon us here. Yes. 100%. But, you know, we are the chosen ones, as, as we will see. We, we still haven't gotten to Tristan, but we need to hear what those storytellers have to say once we get there. I do love that you say the Shining Force. Like, we are the Shining Force. And when you say it like that, it's different from how I normally think of Shining Force. It's like, we are the Shining Force. So, like, the way you say that means that we are the force that shines, right? So it's very different to me i don't know it's like a weird thing but I, I never thought of it like that until you like said we are the shining force like we are the emanating light here in this story so it's kind of interesting and yeah the fact that we're gonna have to resolve this despite two entities you know a goddess and vulcan on here it's kind of wild to me but that's our task we end up headed to the north we walk right into another battle. There's a devil there that asks where we came from and what we're doing, and don't we know about the restrictions? Uh, he says, even if you didn't know, that's just too bad, and we end up in another battle. We have three dark soldiers, four snipers, two bishops, one wizard, three lizard men, and one wyvern, uh, which is sort of like a... Well, he's a flying enemy, kind of like a blue small dragon or pterodactyl looking thing. Basically, he's a flyer that can come around and move quick across the map. Now, this is a situation where we have another large outside map. Uh, there's varying terrains. There's forests, hills, a little bit of open territory there as well. And so it's one where, for me, this battle is an easy one to kind of 
overextend yourself because you want to rush ahead because there's so much ground to cover. You have to keep it tight. You have to be careful. Some of these guys have pretty big movement. So I managed to get Kazin up to level 9 here, uh, where he learns D-Soul level 2. So, I mean, again, I did play with D-Soul a little bit in this game just for fun. I don't remember, honestly, if I ever got too much more success with the spell here, but I, I'll let you know if it happens, because I marked it down every time that I desold somebody. Uh, we get Slade's spell up to level 2, so now he's able to cast essentially a Blaze level 3 whenever he wants. I will say, though, Slade doesn't have much mana, so he's very limited in how much he can cast these spells. Randolph had a beautiful uh, double attack for a kill against one of the Dark Soldiers, which I always appreciate. May, I haven't mentioned her in a while, but she's still hanging tight here. She's killing these flying enemies. She's up to level 9, just right below Bowie and Sarah, so she's at the top of the party, just destroying these guys. I took a couple exhaustions. No one, like, that meaningful. Like, I think Rick got exhausted. So I went back to town after this, did some res, uh, got them back, and then continued on my way. Uh, seems like we both have the same dominant characters. Chester here, who's part of uh, Sir Astral's crew, along with Jaha, he died from a counterattack here. So that was pretty embarrassing here for Chester. You never want that to happen. It was interesting, the Wyvern here actually blew fire to hit for 19 damage out of Sarah's 49 which I feel like an attack would do more. So this is like a common theme here where certain creatures will like breathe fire or ice or whatever instead of attacking. And it's like it bypasses armor, but at the same time, it's usually worse than just outright attacking them. So I was glad that the Wyvern here blew fire on Sarah. Tyron here learned Bolt, which was very different. Kazin has, again, you had mentioned he learned Muddle, Dispel, etc., Bolt was kind of weird for Tyron to get because he, you know, he's got the, the freeze. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Peter here, very strong. Again, he gets the three HP health, two attack, two defense, one agility upgrade. Just beautiful upgrade here. I lost Jaha and Tyron. Tyron was killed by the Wyvern with one attack. So he dealt 36 damage to Tyron of his 32 health. And so one shot and for a flying creature to one shot, your wizard is pretty bad. So I kind of opened my mind up to like this idea of maybe having meat shields and, and wizards maybe not being able to like take some damage. So there's some risk in running these high damage magic characters. Kazin was also one shot by a lizard man. Again, this wizards getting one shot. I don't like that. It's hard because you, you want to cast spells with them, but then if you cast spells, you overexpose them. So a very big issue here running this playthrough. Oddly enough, the lizard man, for whatever reason, who he had seen before, was the leader. So I killed him, and he was the leader. So I lost a little bit of experience here. Wasn't too happy about that. But in terms of the exhaustions, I'm not too devastated by him because, honestly, it's cheaper to resurrect them at this point than buy a healing drop. So it's almost better that they get one shot. But I don't like the fact that they lose that experience potential. That's really my main issue here. But unfortunately, several exhaustions, but 
Nothing too crazy. Continuing on our way, we reach a bridge. Uh, When we enter into the bridge icon on the map, then it zooms in to the bridge itself, and we see that the bridge is being eaten by these large flower worm-type monsters that are all over it, and there is a woman calling for help down at the other end of the bridge. Sir Astral seems very excited to help this woman. He smashes Bowie out of the way and tries as quickly as possible to get down there to help her. She says that she claimed that she sprained her ankle, and, you know, Astral is in a big hurry to save her. Now, before we can actually get to her, a bunch of devils appear, and we end up in in what I call the bridge battle, because we were fighting on a large bridge the whole time. So, we have four lesser demons, we have four worms, we have a sniper, a lizard man, a wizard, a monk, and a soldier. These worms are sort of like giant-sized, like people-sized worms, and they are pretty annoying because they can cause poison damage, which is something that... It only does two damage per turn, but it's just frustrating, and you have to cure it eventually because it carries over into another battle. So There are a couple of enemies in this battle that are flying, and so I actually sent Peter off to deal with a couple of them to take care of them because, as you mentioned, he is OP, very strong, and he can take guys one-on-one pretty easily, so I did send him off from the main party to go after some of those flyers. This is kind of a unique battle because it's 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 very um straightforward. It's just you're on this bridge, there's a little part of it that is land that leads up to the bridge. Once you get onto it, you're just on the same bridge the whole time. There are holes in it that cause you to have to move around in different ways, but Ultimately, this is a pretty straightforward fight for me. Um, you know, I got Sarah up to level 11, Kazin up to level 10. You know, so my top tier people are up in that level 11, level 10 type area at this point. Randolph, you know, was already up to level 9. Keep in mind, he was just level 1 promoted back at, after Creed's, and he has already pushed it up to 9. So I've really been going wild with him. But I don't have much from this battle. I pretty much just went through it, took him down. We got our experience. Time to save the woman. I mean, that's our goal, man. You know, you got to save lives. Yeah, this battle is pretty similar um, with the addition of the worms. The Master Monks here, pretty interesting. They have a really strong attack. They also have a very strong blast. And the introduction of heal level 4, which is a full heal. Um, which we haven't seen before. So that was the Master Monks here really kind of shown. But again, with the bridge, you're, you're very limited to like, a, I think it's like a, yeah. a five maybe range. Yeah, about five, yeah. Yeah, f- yeah, five square range. And so these Lesser Demons coming in, it's kind of hard not to stack your units. So they kind of feasted on me with those Blaze Level 3s because they just came in from the side. Boom, Blaze Level 3, Wyverns were there flying, a lot of flying units coming from the sides like the velociraptors from jurassic park you know they're coming in from the sides here attacking um so yeah i I had some casualties here kazin being one of them he did go down with the with the good blaze level three uh hitting two units that was kind of his highlight (laughs) but i hit level 11 along with sarah similar to you jaha died as well due to the wyvern 
just coming in from the side because, you know, they're flying. They can just bypass so much unexpected. But by and large, nothing too crazy. Slade, I overextended a little bit. He died from four attacks, which is pretty good. Honestly, I look at that. You know, again, I'm trying to test the waters to to see what my level of comfort is with exposing people. You know, for Slade to experience four attacks is pretty good. So, yeah, the three exhaustions. But, yeah, the, the wizard here was the leader, which was kind of weird because we had seen the wizard before. So, again, lost some experience here because it wasn't really obvious that he was the leader in this battle. But, by and large, a pretty average battle, but definitely very difficult with the, especially the lesser demons coming in from the side with that blaze. After the battle, Astral runs to help out the woman, pushes Bowie out of the way, and she hops up on his back whenever he gets to her. As we are about to head off to Tristan, the woman transforms into another greater devil. Her name is Camilla, and it turns out she is a leader of the devil army, and that she is after the jewel of evil. Now, Astral tells her that Zeon told us, the Shining Force, to bring the jewel of evil to him, and that he didn't mention you. And he says, since we've never heard of you, you're not getting the jewel. This leads Astral and the rest of the Force to realize that the devils are kind of acting on their own orders and that they're divided as to their actions. They don't all seem to be following the same playbook. Camilla attempts to kill Astral. She shoots a fireball at him, which he is able to dodge, and she basically teleports away saying that she'll, you know, that she'll be back and that this is going to be fun. So we will see more of Camilla a bit later. Once we actually get to Tristan, which is the town that we were finally headed to, we can get some new items. Uh, There's some brass knuckles, chrome lance, two great axes. And there are some things that we can find in the town because there is this large uh, temple, the shrine to Metola that you can explore. It has some tricks to it different passageways and things, but if you fully go through it, the things that you find, I mean, aren't earth-shattering. Two of the chests just have healing seeds, which do 20 health, and then the only real decent thing is a protect milk that you can use to increase defense for one of your characters. Um, If you try to enter into the shrine, there is this priest that's out front of it, and he says you can't enter the shrine now. And You try to sort of fake him out and run past him, but he will sort of teleport over and block you, and he keeps saying that you can't enter the shrine. But you keep trying to get in, and pretty soon that priest transforms into a devil. And we see that Mitola's shrine is completely overrun by these devils. We are now in this battle to try to get in. We are fighting this sort of neat almost like garden area that leads up into the shrine and we will be trying to save the goddess. Yeah, it's a very beautiful town. I mean, it's basically filled with waterfalls, just water everywhere, just flowing, beauty abundant. It's so beautiful that you find out that the town is run by Matula from a duck. Like there's a duck there that you just talk to and he tells you that. So it's like, okay, you know, we're in the town that Peter's like, yes, birds can talk here. And it's like the battle you said where, yeah, it's just surrounded by water, beautiful garden and flowers. 
I will say though that yeah, with regard to the ruin experience of finding treasure, like when you enter the ruins, it's like dungeon music, which is epic. Right? And then you get underneath the ruins for even more epic music to get to this epic chest. And then it's like healing scene, right? And that gives 20 HP. You can buy healing drops that do 30 HP from a regular person, like a regular merchant. So it's like, you know, that was kind of anticlimactic, but we have this very beautiful shrine, this beautiful battle, but somehow these devils are trying to stop us from entering the shrine of Matula. The battle to get in is pretty straightforward. It's not a large map. It's a pretty map. And we have a bunch of worms. We have a couple wizards, master monks. We have these guys called orc lords, and they have like a spear in one hand. These just big, like, oh, you know, sort of ogre type guys. There's a dark knight. I did manage to do another successful D soul. I took out a master monk with a D soul from Kazin. I gotta pause you here. Why are you using D soul? I gotta ask you because <laughs> D soul is basically. It's an insta-kill, but it's low percentage. So are you doing that just to flex? Pretty much. Uh, I was curious how often I could pull it off. I mean, I didn't use it all the time, but whenever I was in a situation where I like knew that I had this guy dead to rights, I would be like, oh, let's try a D-Soul and see what happens. It's always fun when it does. I mean, you've got to admit that much, but it is such a waste of percentage. Like The odds are not good. Bowie got to level 11, and that meant that he got Bolt level 2, which was funny because he leveled up after casting Bolt level 1, and then he got Bolt level 2. We have Road here with a double attack. The majority of the force now is up to somewhere between level 9 and 11. Sarah is the one exception, level 12, because as always, I'm maximizing her heals. And ever since she became a monk, now she's getting kills on the regular, just beating guys up. So, I mean, she's just going to town here. No exhaustions. I'm ready to save the goddess. Yeah, so for Sarah, it's interesting you say she's getting kills. I don't think she's killed anybody yet for me. But she hit level 12, just from healing. My Sarah was vastly under-leveled in our first discussion. So, we're the same level, but yeah, she's not killing people. So, it's interesting how I'm able to use healing and how you use the attack of Sarah. She's incredibly strong. I just felt like I could never use her just to attack because someone was always hurt. Someone was always like dying and she gets heal level three here. She gets 20 experience out of a hundred for a level up and it's needed every battle. Like I, I almost never can attack with her because I'm constantly trying to heal. My two deaths here were unfortunately Peter, his first death he got a double attack on him for 46 damage. So, you know, double attacks, can't really control all that much. And then Kazin. And Kazin died because basically the Dark Knight at the end, I was trying to not lose experience here. So I was trying to beat everybody up before killing the leader, who was clearly the Dark Knight. And so Kazin was a, he was a casualty of my hubris of trying to get experience points. But other than that, he probably would have survived. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a pretty average fight i mean nothing too crazy again trying to farm heal do as best i can to prepare myself for Xeon. but really the only death i mean i felt like peter's death i really couldn't control from the random double attack and then kazin i kind of accepted that based on trying to get max experience 
it's always rough when Kazin goes down. I mean, I I hate it when that happens, but yeah, these these mages, you know, sometimes to get them experience, you have to put them in danger and there's just not much you can do about it. I do beef him up with protect milks and sometimes I give him the protect ring actually, so that can help with him anyway. At this point, have you assigned your protect ring? I think I had, but it moves. And you will see why a little bit later here. So now we're trying to get into the shrine, and when we reach the door, there is a devil inside named Zalbard. He says he's one of the greater devils, and he says to come in. Or we could go back now and abandon Mitola. So of course, we're going to go in there. Sir Astral warns us that we should make our preparations before we go in. He also starts to think about something. See, while we were talking to Zalbard before we go in, we let slip that Odd Eye fought against Vulcanon and that he lost. And Zalbard says, I can't believe it. Odd Eye is the strongest devil among us, but we haven't been able to contact him lately. He says, this is good news for me. If I get the Jewel of Evil, I can take his place. And Astral spends a lot of time wandering around the area outside of the shrine, repeating the name Odd Eye over and over again, and he's in deep thought. He says, I think I've heard that name before, but he doesn't really come to any conclusions. Eventually, Peter scares him and wakes him out of his thoughts that he's having. And so we go in to fight Zalbard with this mystery of Odd Eye still unsolved. I wonder if we've encountered anybody whose name sounds like Odd Eye. This brings us into the shrine, and this is another tight battlefield, but we do have a number of enemies. We've got a couple more Orc Lords, five Dark Knights this time, as opposed to just the one that we had to fight to get in. There's a Gargoyle, which is really strange, because the Gargoyle is an old enemy from, like, a long time ago that pretty much anybody can one-shot at this point in the game, but it was fun to see him there. Uh, we have two wizards, we have a master monk, we have harpy queens, and a wyvern, and then Zalbard himself. Um, the harpy queens are a huge pain. They can cause poison, they have magic, they're flyers, they can come in from nowhere. Not a huge fan of them whatsoever. Kazin, once again, with a successful de-soul, de-souling a wizard... This is one where you have to be careful because you can get rushed. Like, these Dark Knights, there are five of them. So if they all rush you, you're in trouble. You have to really isolate them, take them out one by one. The Harpy Queens can come down out of nowhere and just destroy you. So I typically, in this one, I kind of split into two sides because there are two entrances, like ramps up to the top of the the shrine where Zalbard is at. And so I had some guys go off the left and some up the right, and we sort of encircled him. Again, I was trying to do this thing where I'm defeating every single enemy. So I had to find a way to pull the monks and the wizards and all these guys off and be able to take them down. Zalbard, of course, is pretty powerful. He has bolt spells that he can cast, and these greater devils typically get moves quicker than they should. 
So he could easily get two moves before another character gets one move. He did get Sarah up to level 13. She learned a detox level 3, which I don't think I'd ever have ever had a use for. But, you know, just the regular old detox level 1 is normally all you need. What does detox level 3 do? Because that's why I had the same Sarah encounter, like... I know detox level one does like poison, but like it's still is three. Do? It's still just poison. It's 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 like you know level one is is one. You have to be next to them. Level two gets you some distance, and then level three I think is more of like a cross hex sort of like detox. If you had like five people that got poisoned somehow, you know. So, but you know, instrumental in this was the power ring. I always use the power ring. Not just equip it, but you use it on somebody, and it boosts their attack for several turns. So that's important for taking down big enemies. And so I did use that ring here. Uh, I used it, I believe, actually on Bowie. I think the person who had it equipped at this point was Jaha, I want to say. It was either Jaha or Peter, and they used the ring on me, and then you're able to do a lot of damage that way. Pretty much everyone leveled up at least once in this one. Zalbard is not really that strong. Like, I mean, he has a powerful bolt attack, but he doesn't have that much health. So if you're able to just plan it so that you got somebody uh, buffed with the power ring and then just rush him with everybody, you can take him down relatively quickly. And so he was defeated here. Once he does go down, you're going to get something called the ground orb. But I'll hold off on that for a second. Yeah, Zalbar's really cool. And he's like the first like real boss you experience where it's like he's clearly a unique devil. And it's really awesome. Kind of like takes me back to DBZ, Dragon Ball Z of like certain villains that have names that, yeah, maybe they die, but they have their own personalities, which is cool. So it's kind of like we met Camila. We don't get to kill her. We met Jessup. We don't get to kill him. And Zalbard is unfortunately like the first that I felt was like a really cool villain. And he's got these devil horns. He's got a, a cool purple hoodie and a green face. So he's like this really cool character they made just for this battle. So it makes it super epic. And thankfully the game goes more towards that of these like centralized leaders. Cause before you're like, Oh, wizard man, who's the leader or wizards, the leader. This is clearly the leader here, which is really cool. And yeah, this battle was um, it was awesome. I loved it. The music here is a little bit off because it's kind of like the shrine music because it's in like a church, so it doesn't feel like a battle as much. So I felt I felt like the music was a little bit off here. But it's so good though. Like it's such good music. <laughs> like it would be great like uh, ambient music to play. You know, if you were like trying to go to sleep or relax or something. Absolutely. You know, it just didn't feel like battle music to me. <laughs> but so I felt that was a little bit off. But um, yeah, the beginning is basically, it's kind of like pews, kind of like in a church. So it's kind of interesting. Like the horse characters were pretty strong in the, the range characters because they could kind of sit behind the pews where the melee characters could not hit them, but they could, the archer characters and range characters could hit them, which is pretty cool. There were ogres in this. So, you know, they had to hit melee and we just kept, you know, sniping them, which is really cool. The harpies, as you said, man, they're so annoying. A lot of power, and they get freeze level 2, which is just, it's got great range, and it deals the damage, honestly, like almost akin to blaze level 3, so really strong here. Zelbard himself, 
it's basically like a, if you picture a rectangle, that rectangle surrounded by water and there's Zalbard. And so it's like you have that water break here. And so Zalbard gets bolt level two and he basically he busts that out right away. And so it's kind of interesting. I sent Peter and Tyrant out to kind of try to handle him while I handled the other units. I mean, it worked for a little bit. You know, Peter's able to deal a lot of damage. Tyron had freeze level three here, which had great range. Again, greater range than Blaze. So he was able to hit him over the ledge of the water, like over the water. And Peter's obviously flying. So I was kind of limited to those two right away. Unfortunately, Tyron died. Um, <laughs> you know, he overexposed himself a little bit. Um, freeze was not as strong as I thought. Even Peter died. Zalbard, just very strong. But obviously, they dealt so much damage and centered so much that eventually my force came in and was able to deal with him. Zalbard has a really cool animation when he attacks. It's kind of like he uh, he's like a vampire almost, where like when he attacks, his wings kind of shoot out and he punches you. Super cool animation here. I, lo I love this villain. Really appreciated him. But Jaha was the only other character that died after we converged on Zalbard. But... Great villain, great fight, and yeah, it was, it was a great fight. Minimal casualties. Tyron and Peter overextending. I felt it made sense just because they were the ones that could attack with minimal interaction, but Zalbert, he's got some power. I mean, he's got some pop behind his attacks, and then Bolt Level 2 is pretty strong. Yeah, I agree. He has a great character design. Yeah, I think he is kind of like a vampire. That's probably how I would I would describe him as well. When he is defeated... He falls to the ground, and something called the ground orb falls out from his cloak. It flashes light, and then the light destroys him, which sort of lends credence to the idea of him as a vampire. He's being like destroyed by this orb of light. Well, I will say, I will say, his last words are, he says, "It's impossible. Why do I have to die?" So it's kind of like he has this idea of immortality that you would think would be associated with a vampire. Once he is done, Matula finally appears. She sort of appears out of her statue of herself, and she is there now as an actual entity in the room. You can actually see her as like a regular character. And she picks up the orb and returns it to her statue, and she thanks you for what you've done. She does tell us that she is not a Vulcanon, she says that she never tells people the future, even if it could prevent death. She goes on to say that Zeon is an unimaginably strong devil, and if he attains full power, I, even Vulcanon, would not be able to stop him. She goes on to say that his power is sealed in the Jewel of Evil, and that Ark Valley is the place where evil power gathers and that he will recover his power if he stays there long enough. She also says that we call it the Ancient Tower. So Ark Valley is the Ancient Tower of Grand Seal, which we lost Ellis in earlier in the game. Grand Seal, she says, is named for the symbol in the tower. It seals the ground. Mitula then starts to flash. Astral asks where she's going, and she says she's going down to the surface to save the people. And Astral says, are you going to abandon us as Vulcanon did? And she says, no, I'll give you a hint. Listen to the legends from the storytellers before you go to Grand's Island. And she further says, you can't kill Zeon, but Vulcanon and I will help you if you weaken him. 
and she says, Bowie, you are the chosen one. You have the holy jewel. We need your help to reseal Zeon. Find the holy sword. It's on Grand's Island, she says, and the jewel will lead us to it. She then flashes away, and we are left with this new information, and we are going to be able to go see these storytellers in this very temple. They are not people. They are actually statues with inscriptions that we will read, and they give us more information about our quest. On the way to these storytellers in one wing of the temple, there is a chest with mithril in it, so you should probably grab that if you want to get some special weapons later on. And so I am just going to kind of go through with these storytellers, say there are eight of them. Uh, The first one says, Ark Valley is a dark place where evil gathers. He who rules Ark Valley is the king of the devils. The next one, Dark Soul, Dark Dragon, and Zeon desperately wanted to obtain Ark Valley. The fighting of the Devil Kings created a mighty storm. Third one, Zeon won. Every devil named him the King of the Devils. The two other kings envied Zeon. They sealed his power inside the Jewel of Evil. Fourth one, when Zeon lost his powers, he fell to Earth and created a giant crater. His moan destroyed the mountains, and the crater was buried by debris. Five, grieving over the fight, the God of Wisdom created the Jewel of Evil. The Jewel of Light chose a brave man and gave him a holy sword. Number six, with the holy sword in hand, the brave man fought the two devil kings. The holy sword contained holy power. Thus, the two devil kings were defeated. Number seven, evil Ark Valley was sealed beneath the ancient tower. Never open the door to the tower. A great evil sleeps inside. And the last storyteller says, In the event of Zeon awakening, the power of light will choose another. Believe us, we lie not. Attack the devil at his mouth with the holy sword. That part about Dark Soul and Dark Dragon, and about the man who fought them in the past, is a direct reference to the story of Shining Force 1. So if you have not played through that or or don't know about it, um, you would learn more about that story if you went and played the first game. But all we need to know for this is that we need the sword, we need to go to Ark Valley, and we need to use it. On the way back from the storytellers, there's another room you can look at, and there is a statue there. If you click on the statue, it will flash, and it comes to life. We find this girl, this woman named Taya, and she basically tells us that she has been a statue for some time. She knows that we are on this quest to defeat Zeon because Mitola explained to her about everything that was happening and that she wants to go with you as another aid from Mitola. So Taya, the sorceress, is going to join the force. A couple quick other things. You can find a critical sword in a chest, a power water in a chest, and another healing seed. How helpful. So we would now return back to the town. Uh, Before we get to the town, was there anything else you noticed in the temple? I mean, Mithula here for me is, you know, she's kind of wanting for help. We ask her, like, what do we do next? And she says, she doesn't know. It's like, why do we save you? It's like, it's so ambiguous as to what we're supposed to be doing here. 
And obviously, I guess she does lead us to these statues to like vaguely describe what we need to do and we're the chosen one. But it seems like if you're a goddess, like you got to step up here. You got to do a little bit more. We shouldn't be saving you, going to ask you what to do after we save you and then find out. Yeah, we don't really know. And find out for yourself. You know, like it just seemed like she was uh, kind of wanting here for helping us. What did you think of, of Mitula here in terms of her? ability to help us because i mean she she basically comes alive as this like young woman with blue hair and she's this priestess she's got a crown on her head so it's, it seems like she's this like very warming person to help us and she doesn't really offer all that much help immediately at least you know i am biased in favor of mitola because she's so much better than Vulcanon. like Vulcanon was just a stone cold jerk like he just had wanted nothing to do with us so i appreciate that she has a warmer personality and that she's trying to help but yeah she's a goddess so like where where's the help i mean if this was lord of the rings if we were talking to like gladriel she would have given us some lemba spread she would have given us the light of gladriel to help us through the darkness you know what's mitola got and gladriel's not even a goddess so i mean this is uh you know it's pretty weak here weak help i would say it's more informational help rather than any sort of physical help and then taya of course now, you can miss her, though. If you don't click on her statue, then you just miss her, which I think is really would, you know, would really be unfortunate because, as you will see, she became an integral character to my force. I did give her the protect ring because she has really bad defense. She's really weak to attack. She's very strong as a spellcaster, but very weak to attack. Who left? Who left? This was where Rick finally dropped out. He was already pretty bad. Taya versus Rick. I mean, come on. So, yeah. Um, did you put her in? I did. I got rid of Janet here. Um, Taya, she basically is like a, she's a, a wizard who summons different gods, like Apollo, Neptune, Dio. Um, and basically they have high damage, but it's it's limited to that cross hair of range so that that's her ability and power again janet here not doing a lot of damage she's just as weak i threw her in there i did it without understanding like whether or not i would continue with her that's where i left off with yeah i think it's it's possible and she did give us information about the nazca ship you know that we could use that to go to grand's isle once we exit the temple we go back into the town and if you had triggered the events in Bedeau like we talked about before where a hatchling had fallen down on your head back when you were visiting Peter and Vulcanon. This is where that hatchling finally comes to find you. He is now a strong, well, they say he's strong. He's really not. Um, but he is now a warrior of sorts. His name is Screech. He will come and find you as you are leaving the town and he joins the force. And I did not put him on because he is terrible. Uh, he's basically a copy and paste of Luke. And, you know, he's just not that good. You head back to Palacon. And when you get there, you find that it has finally rained because Mitula is now freed from the devils. And so the weather has started to return. And you can talk to the centaurs there and they 
are excited about the rain. But you can also talk to Frasia, the vicar, who we left behind there before, and we can hear that he is also excited that we defeated Zalbard and we saved Mitula. He seems to know all about our exploits. And he finally asks, will you go to Maun with me? He has decided that he has to open the gate. And anyway, we have to go through that town to get to something we need, which is called Nazca. And we will see more about that when we get there. So we take Freja with us. So as you leave the castle, you run into Jessup again, who has shown up now in the town. He starts mocking Freja a little bit about the fact that he locked the people up in Maun. And then Camilla also shows up and there is a bit of an argument between the two devils. Eventually, they decide to leave an army here to try to destroy you. And so you end up fighting not either of those greater devils, just another collection of enemies. Uh, We have orc lords, harpy queens, knights, necromancer, master monk, dark bishop, and devil soldier. Fighting through the town is interesting because it is actually in the town. Teo was able to learn Apollo in this battle. She got to level 12. This is basically... Her attacks as a sorceress use gods to attack the enemy. She summons them. So people like Neptune, Apollo, whoever it happens to be. And then those guys that she summons do things like Apollo, in his case, he fires like light out of his hands and sort of like buffets the enemy with it. So they're really cool animations. They're typically kind of expensive. And one thing that's a bit different about these spells, these sorcerer or sorceress spells versus a wizard, is like if Kazin casts Blaze level 3 over, let's say, two different enemies, he'll hit them both at the same level of strength, more or less. But with these god and goddess spells, they split damage. So if I hit two people with it, it does less than if I hit just one person with it. So it's better to target one guy at a time with these sorts of spells. Now, they can be extremely OP and powerful against one target. But when you split the damage, it's not as good. You know, Sarah up to level 14. A lot of guys up around 13, 12. The low level of the party is around 11 right here. It's like Janet's at level 11. Jaha's level 11. Yeah, I enjoy the fight because... It's spread out throughout the town. I did break guys off at one point and send some over to one side and some to the other. But after that big Zalbard battle, this one is a little bit anticlimactic. There's not a huge enemy to fight. Just a unique setting, being in the actual town itself. Yeah, the additions here, the uh, Devil Soldier, who's basically like a you know, Golem Soldier from the beginning of the game. You know, He's nothing like super special. The highlights here for me were basically my wizards getting one shot. So Tyron, one shot. Taya, one shot. That's interesting about the splitting of damage. To be honest, knowing the end, I've never hit more than one unit with her. Ever with the spell. I like left this thinking she was just overpowered. So it's like, that makes a little bit more sense because her dial here is basically hitting for like blaze level three type levels at level one. It's in for 22 damage. 
with a cross. So what you said makes a little bit more sense. Like maybe that's why you wouldn't play her, but I've literally never gotten more than one unit with her. It's interesting with the evil Bishop here. He gave me one experience point. So he's like super under leveled. He bonked my main character on the head for one damage instead of using blast. So it's kind of like, yeah, very anticlimactic, very farmy. The harpies dealt a lot of damage, but again, outside of the one shots of the wizards, nothing else to mention here. So following this battle, we are on our way to Maun, but before we can get there, we have to actually fight another battle because we are reusing the map again. Uh, we're back to that same one when we were on our way to the bridge battle. Uh, we were on our way back there, but going through there to get to Maun this time. In this battle, there is a strange unit. His name is Jaro, and he is basically like a kind of a centaur, except he has wings. He's something called a Pegasus Knight, and he is with the devils. We will see that he has a little bit of a storyline in this battle. We have a couple different enemies here. We have Cerberuses, which are these sort of multiple-headed dog-type enemies. They are known to guard the underworld, so you may have heard of them before. They are real mythological creatures, if that makes any sense. Real mythological creatures. We also have Master Monks, Devil Soldiers, other Pegasus Knights as well, Devil Soldier, some Necromancers, and a new guy called Bowmaster, who is a very strong archer. Now, you fight through the first part of the battle, eliminating some of the early enemies, and once you move a little ways up into the map, Jaro declares, I'm tired of this, I can no longer fight for devils. And he turns on the enemy, and he joins you in the middle of the battle. This is the only time that this happens in the entire game. It's a very cool sort of idea. This is a tough one. Like, the Pegasus Knights, they move very quick. They can have a strong attack, especially if they get into your casters or healers, that can be a big problem. And the Bowmaster, he packs a big punch. I mean, he's got a really heavy attack in this battle. I mainly just remember this one for Jaro and him turning face, if we can use some wrestling terms. He goes from heel to face in the middle of the battle, which is uh, pretty unheard of. But by the end, you know, we had all kind of leveled up about another level. Sarah, again, at the top of the heap at level 15 here. It's funny you say Jaro, because when he's originally with the Devils, his name is Jar, which is weird. It's like when he tra- <laughs> he changes from Jar to Jaro. Like, wh- wh- why? Like, what does that mean? No clue, man. I, <laughs> I wonder if it's almost like a programming issue. <laughs> like a text issue, uh, unless it's meant to like represent that he's changed. It's Why would you stick an O onto his name? I don't know. I, I kind of like the name Jar. I think they should just kept Jar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had no idea about that. Um, it's kind of like Peter in the beginning where you can't control him, though. So it's kind of like he just does his own thing. I mean, he's, he's kind of a, a non-essential person in this fight. I was kind of the highlight here. I had a one shot on the Pegasus Knights. And they're very high attack, very high HP, but low defense. But I hit a Pegasus Knight for 101 damage out of 65 with a double attack and crit. And I crit again in this battle, so I'm kind of wondering if the Critical Sword like has some kind of crit percentage. Again, I we have no idea because it doesn't say, but it seemed like pretty suspicious that I'm getting these huge crits here, getting that. 
The Bowmaster here, like you said, really strong. I mean, he's just, he one-shot Kazin exactly 43 out of 43 HP. That's rough. I mean, it's like, how am I supposed to deal damage and level Kazin if a Bowman is able to one-shot him? Very difficult here. Yeah, just the Bowman, so strong. The Pegasus Knights, I remember at one point, basically, in the battle, it's like eight of them in the northeast corner of the map all together with a bunch of Pegasus Knights. And it's like, how do you extend without overextending, knowing these Pegasus Knights can basically traverse the entirety of the map? Because it's it's a lot of forest area, but they can fly over it. So very difficult in that regard. But again, I had mentioned about Kazin getting one shot. Slata died from a Necromancer, double attacking him um, instead of using spells. Taya died from a Cerebus. Those are my exhaustions, but all in all, very interesting fight. But yeah, as long as you you know stick with your group and manage that eight-person northeast battle, you can get through it. Well, now we're on to the city of Maun. This is where we've been trying to get, trying to open the gate. When we get there, there are devils inside. They say, welcome, losers. Will you follow the example of the people of Maun and die without resistance? And Amphrasia says, no, I'm too late. I killed a lot of people. I can never forgive myself. Bowie, please, let me fight with you. They must die. And then he joins the force. This is something that irritates me, is that they force you into using him in this battle unless you aggress and take him out. So uh, when you enter into the city of Maun, he replaces one of your characters and then he is in their place. And so for me, Taya was removed, and so I ended up aggressing, taking him out, putting her back in, and then returning to the battle, where we finally can see what the real fate of the people of Maun actually is. So for this, it was interesting, that dynamic, because Frasia just joined my party, because I had pre- I had been running one unit behind, I had removed Elric when I didn't need to. And so I was one person behind. And so basically it like messed up everything leading up to this. So like Teo was not the person removed. It was actually Jaro that got removed. So like I was one person behind Jaro joined. Then he was the person that left. So it was like a little bit weird for me, but I I guess I'd been like playing with the handicap here, (laughs) man. I cannot believe that we are about to set out on the final leg of this epic journey. And we've run out of time. Find out if the Shining Force is able to defeat Zeon and save Grand Seal in our third and final installment of Shining Force. Coming soon. Follow us on Patreon and Instagram at the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. Our Patreon offers access to weekly posts, the Discord server, and bi-weekly exclusive episodes. Spend time with us there until our next new episode when we return to the 1990s.